All right, welcome to Bullstrong. This is your host, Craig Meadow. And today I have with me uh, a friend of mine, Braden Miller, who's the head coach of Miller Elite Coaching. He does lifestyle coaching. He does uh, prep coaching, bodybuilding coaching, and uh, really a big up-and-comer in the bodybuilding scene. Braden has been on stage many times and uh, now entirely focuses on getting other people up on stage and and hopefully moving someone into a uh, uh, getting into on stage on the Olympia. And it's going to be pretty exciting. I've known uh, Braden for some time now. Great guy, really knows his stuff. We're going to have a great conversation. And without further ado, here's Braden. Welcome to the show, Braden. Great to have you. Thanks so much, Craig. It's, uh, it's a pleasure to be here. I appreciate all your kind words, too. Yeah. I'm just a guy doing what he loves, man. <laughs> well, I wish, I, everyone, I, wish I, yeah, I wish I could do that. Yeah. I can't. <laughs> But uh, no, it's uh, like I said, it's a pleasure to be here. Um, so yeah, a little bit of background on myself. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I fitness for me started. I was a hockey player my entire life. I played higher level hockey. I moved away at eighteen to play junior hockey down in Brooks, Alberta. Um, I had actually hired a personal trainer for getting me in shape for training camp, and that was kind of the first step for me that changed my life. I got in the best shape of my life, and I was like, "Wow, this guy just helped me a little bit with diet and training. Look what I can do." Um, so my hockey continued and, and I ended up going and I got a scholarship to McEwen University here in Edmonton where I played for a few years in my um, halfway through my third season I was a captain on the team and I ended up quitting it just felt like I was a babysitter at that point nobody actually cared about the hockey they just cared about partying and I was kind of beyond that phase of my life so and I was really really um, becoming obsessed with the gym so that's mm-hmm. kind of where I transitioned and I was on bodybuilding.com doing that whole thing and I had gotten yeah. some personal trainer certifications myself mm. where I started coaching some people on the side for just helping family and friends for free um, and then yeah it just kind of snowballed that one of my best friends competed uh, he was actually my training partner competed at a local show here when this, the ABBA and CBBF was still a thing um, he did phenomenal in men's physique and I was like this is what I'm going to do so mm. from there it kind of snowballed I hired his coach at the time and ended up competing a year later and, and won a couple shows in light heavyweight division, wow. um, which I was completely hooked after that. So ended up getting uh, over, over the span of two years there. I went to, I did my first Canadian nationals, um, kind of had a goal of just getting top 10 and we achieved that. We got seventh place, but that wasn't enough for me. I thought I would be happy with top 10 in my first national showing with light, wow. heavyweight. light heavyweights, normally big classes and four of those top 10 are now pros for those. Wow. Is that right? Pros. Yeah. So it was, it was a really good class. I'm not sure if you know, Mahmoud Dura. And okay. Yeah. 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 So I showed up backstage with Steven did and Dura pumping up and I'm like, all right, this is going to be interesting. Wow. Yeah. No kidding. That's so, great. Yeah, that's kind of where it went for me. And after that, I was fully hooked. I, I changed coaches after that. And I just, that's where my progress kind of took off further. I changed my mindset with bodybuilding. It was an all, all in approach for me. Yeah. And, uh, I got my biggest and I was my leanest. I got up to about 250 pounds. And that's when I was, I had basically geared myself up that year. I was planning on doing um, the Arnold classic and okay. really, really testing the waters. Cause me and my coach had were very confident in the package I had built previously. Mm-hmm. My off season weight had got to about 230, and I was kind of a fat 230. Right. Whereas at this point I was about 250 pounds. I still had abs and I was a completely different bodybuilder. So right. unfortunately, um, 
I had some pre-existing health conditions that I really wasn't aware of that I, I would have only known from getting um, imaging done on my heart. Um, I had a family history of aortic issues and some mm. heart issues. And uh, for me, I guess the, the stress of obviously using PEDs combined with back squatting five, 600 pounds, deadlifting yeah. 600 pounds, walking around at 250 pounds yeah. was just a little bit too much. And I mean, everyone's quick to think it's just PEDs, but at the end of the day, I, I asked my cardiologists in front of my parents, did I do this to myself by doing what I did? And they said, quite frankly, you could have got hit playing hockey when you're 18 years old, right. and split, split your aorta. Oh, wow. So, I mean, I'm not ignorant to the fact it contributed, yeah. but there was a lot of other factors. So for me at that point, um, like I had mentioned to you previous to us recording, I went into the hospital at 250 pounds and 10 weeks later, it came out at 196 pounds, a completely changed person. That's uh, crazy. Yeah. I, had, yeah. I basically died twice during that once on the gym floor yeah. and uh, once wow. in the hospital and wow. it just changes your outlook on things a little bit. So for me, I, I had always said that I, I wouldn't put people on stage while I was competing because I cared way too much of my bodybuilding to care about other people's bodybuilding when mm -hmm. I was on stage, if that makes sense. Sure, of course. And yeah. I had had a coach previous to um, some of this who basically at, at nationals was competing in the same show as me. And I felt the last two weeks I was, he just didn't care about what I was doing. I ended up taking on my own prep. I dropped 14 pounds in, in two weeks to make weight. I wasn't able to eat on show on weigh in day for 16 hours just to make weight. Wow. So a lot of things. And like, I knew I had what it, what it took to be a coach. And I had the knowledge that to, to be okay at this, I guess. Yeah. But again, for me, I was just, I was an all, all in type person right. and I didn't want to leave somebody else in the same place I had been left. Mm -hmm. but once I had to take a step back from bodybuilding, I was actually told I should never really train again. Um, hmm. So I took a step back and, and I mean, at the end of the day, you're not going to tell me I'm not going to train because I'll just say, you know what, there's no way that's happening. This is my life. This is what I do. Yeah. And quite frankly, if I was to die on the gym floor, just doing what I love, well, it is what it is. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> no, so, I'm not, I'm not crazy in that sense, but it's what I love. Right. So did, did you, did you have the great beard? No, that's a pound. That there's a, a pound beard. right here. COVID actually, uh, COVID brought, brought about this beard and yeah. it's never left, <laughs> but <laughs> that's uh, crazy. Yeah, so that's when I kind of really got more serious about coaching because yep. I knew I wasn't competing anymore, and uh, I kind of went all in with it. And it obviously takes some time to build up your roster, and you sure. trust you more and more. But when people see what you're doing, and you you talk to people about what you have and up in here, and and yeah. you share that knowledge with people, it just snowballs. And the last few years have been I've been really blessed in terms of giving up given opportunities, and uh, I'm a firm believer when you get given those opportunities. Um, you better you better capitalize on, on them right oh yeah absolutely. there's a lot of people there's a lot of people who have been given a lot of opportunities and if we're talking bodybuilding coaches and, and whatnot and i mean it's a it's a very very um volatile industry in the sense that if you miss miss an opportunity and, and somebody comes to you with a great physique and you completely mess that up they might be out of your hands really quick and that could have yep. been one shot right so yeah I'm pretty blessed true. with some some opportunities with some good athletes um, turned my first athlete pro in 2019. Oh, wow. Who Maverick, is that? Maverick Wrights. So he's actually a coach on our team as well. Oh, okay. Cool. At, uh, it was our first show together. We did uh, Canadian nationals and uh, we, yeah, we got a pro card in men's physique. Wow. That's awesome. Do you and get a little, do you get a mini card? I don't get, get it. I don't get anything, but you know what, man, for me, it was, uh, I don't need anything for yeah, me. No, I know. <laughs> and me and Maverick hugged backstage and we were both crying. Yeah. 
that that's all I need. And, and I realized at that moment, a pro card would be great, but yeah. getting other people pro cards is, is a lot cooler for me. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So that's kind of where, where yeah. that journey started for me and where we're at yeah. now. Okay. So you were in Edmonton training. What gym were you at? When, when my, uh, like back, like how, like what gym were you training at in Edmonton? Like just what gyms you've been at? I trained at uh, bullpen when I was kind of competing. Okay. I don't know that one. Very, very quiet hole in the wall bodybuilding gym that there was about five members only there, but nobody showed up and uh, they had all the old school hammer strength equipment and stuff. So like that was my sanctuary. Yeah. Um, I was a personal trainer at that time at good life. And so I would basically actually leave my own gym for two hours at lunch break, go train, Mm. come back. And then I've bounced back and forth. I don't like commercial gyms myself, to be honest with you. So um, I was at Powerhouse in Edmonton, and mm-hmm. uh, which is now the Bar Fitness, I guess. And then I actually am currently training out of my own garage. I've, I've built a, a pretty awesome gym in cool. my garage. But I, do, cool. I split between my garage and I go out to a private gym in Beaumont owned by okay. Eric Kusevic, Yeah. Um, called iron lore it's a private facility he has amazing equipment lots of pros and a lot of my athletes are training there too he, he gives me the opportunity to send my athletes there because oh, great the equipment and stuff is great so just change of scenery for me yeah. and a little bit different of equipment so yeah i train i train five days a week i do either two sessions at my house or three there or three at there and wow. my house that's awesome when i i grew up in edmonton i didn't tell you that part okay right on. yeah but i this is this will tell you how old i am i was i was always a club fit Oh yeah. Hey, well, club club fit came back in the past couple of years. Did it really? And then and then they uh, they just folded again. Yeah, they were back for uh-huh. a couple years. I actually trained at Club Fit um, right before COVID. When whole COVID was happening, I was training at Club Fit down on Sunset right? Trail. There. No way! Wow. Yeah. Old Club Fit. Well, that's cool. So so here's a question for you. You um you've taken someone pro, and and I understand that you know, your goal within your coaching team is that you want to, you're focused really on the uh, highest level competitors. How do you break up your clients? And, and I guess one of the buried questions in there is, you know, if someone comes to you and says, look, I love Braden, he's such a great guy. I want to, I want to train with him, but really their goal is to lose 20 or 30 pounds, or maybe they want to bench press a little more. Like how do you break up someone who's coming to your team as a, as a athlete? For sure. So <clears throat> I'm definitely kind of moving a little bit away from the whole lifestyle f- side of things, um, mm-hmm. just because the more athletes I get, the more these athletes are are very elite comp- competitors and stuff like that. And I mean, at the end of the day, that's where my true passion lies. I've helping people is, is one thing and I love helping people, but I've been doing this since 2013. And s- through that time, I've really realized where my, my real passion is and what I truly love. Mm-hmm. And it's not just general weight loss. It is competition stuff and, and putting people on stage. And I think I'm very, very good at it. Um, part of it is I have an all or nothing mentality and, and I mm-hmm. really push people hard. And a lot of the times it's, it's tough when you have somebody who just wants to lose 15 pounds over the next six months. So they're, they're pretty nonchalant with their diet and they, they, they're messing up every other week. You know what I mean? For me, I just, yeah. I can't wrap my head around it because it's not who I am. Mm-hmm. And not to say that's wrong at all. I think that's how it should be. And I just don't think I'm the right guy to coach those individuals anymore because right. I have a lot of people who I'm pushing hard. And then I get, I get a check in and it's like, 
xyz this was messed up that was messed up we'll have a better week next week and it's like okay great yes you will but we left an opportunity on the table this week Mm -hmm. and it's just it's really hard for me to relate to that right so not to say that i don't enjoy working with lifestyle athletes and i have some lifestyle athletes still and i I always will have some on my roster but the people that will be lifestyle athletes on my roster are ones who have very high expectations of themselves Mm -hmm. and can push themselves as hard as a competitor would they're just not trying to step on stage because right. that's what I care about. I care about elite individuals and making people elite. And at the end of the day, you don't have to step on stage to be elite. Mm-hmm. So, and that's kind of why I've, I've built the team I have too. So we've, we've built the team. And um, just this past year, we've hired on five amazing coaches who work under me as assistant coaches. And, and we teach them and kind of oversee what they do. And they bounce stuff off me and I bounce stuff off them. We're all educated enough. And we have a group mm-hmm. of people and peers that we can run things by. So um, I want to help them grow as coaches too, right? So giving them opportunities and, and sometimes I do have lifestyle people reach out to me and it's just, I know it's not the greatest fit because they want a little bit more freedom and they want to be able to go right. camping with their families and have those vacations and this and that. And that's okay. That's absolutely okay because they can reach their goals too. And I have people that can absolutely get them to those goals and, and are willing to help them get there. So right. that's kind of where I'm at. Again, I don't want to sound like an asshole, so to speak, and that I don't work with people who are not competitors. I yeah. just want people that are willing to, to be all in for their goals. Yeah, and I think you're, hard. you're focusing on what you're good at, which 100%. is smart, right? Like, you know, if, why wouldn't you? That's what you're good at. You should Absolutely. focus on it. And like, I, I'm trying to avoid animosity too, right? In the sense yeah. that when I get an athlete week after week, who just isn't necessarily following their plan. Well, I'm not a handholder. I'm not a babysitter. I'm going to push them hard. Yeah. And at some point when I'm pushing those people who need that handholding, they start to resent me or vice versa, mm-hmm. right? It, it becomes a relationship that just isn't successful anymore. Yep. And I don't want to put anybody in those scenarios. I want to help people. Sure. So if, in that situation, it's like, all right, here you go. I have an amazing coach here who will hold your hand a little bit more where there's going to be a little bit more freedom for you. And you can still lose those 25 pounds of fat in the next four months. But with that being said, it's just not going to be with me. I'm on the back end. If they have questions about your health stuff or they have questions and want me to oversee something, or you want to come to me and ask me a question, you're on this team, your family, yeah. but you're just not on my particular roster checking in with me on a weekly. Right. Yeah. You know what I think is interesting? And I think a lot of kind of newer people into the sport, they don't quite understand is that, uh, you know, even if you're really good, even if you have been on stage, even if you have, a accreditation to uh you know be a trainer or be a sports nutritionist everyone still uses coaches like even the top people the top top people still use coaches i think and that and that's confusing to some people because you you certainly see in them in the industry you know someone gets on stage they lean out and then next week they're a coach and they're taking athletes right so but it's interesting so what's your what's your advice to someone who's heading to stage they're not sure about getting a coach you know what in not this isn't selling it because i totally believe in you need one but what's the thing that we should be saying to people that are going coachless and how their experience is going to turn out well i mean at the end of the day you're never going to give yourself an honest opinion to yourself you're either going to give your you're either going to go easy on yourself or you're going to go too hard on yourself right and I've seen it time and time again, people over dieting themselves because they think they're not lean enough mm-hmm. and they think they just have to hit the gas where a lot of the times as coach, I play governor, I'm actually pulling people back and right. saying, okay, we need a diet break this week because you're, you're losing too quickly and you're going to flatten out and all of a sudden we're going to start losing tissue, right? 
A second mm -hmm. set of eyes is extremely important. And at the end of the day, I myself actually have a coach. One of my good friends out of the U.S., Cam Cheek, um, we have very similar philosophies in the way we do things. For me, I think for 100 plus people, I don't want to think for myself. And, and right. I am a person who my brain doesn't turn off. So when I'm programming for myself and I'm in the gym, all I can think about is, ah, should I be doing this or should I be doing that movement? Well, right. I don't want to think. I just want to execute, right? And the more you can remove thinking, the less stress there is. The less stress there is, the lower cortisol mm -hmm. is, the lower cortisol is, the better physique you display, right? right? Now, I think having um, a very trusting relationship with a coach is important. So you got to ask coaches questions and, and see if you're a right fit beforehand. Because I'll be open and honest, I'm not the right fit for everyone, mm -hmm. right? But I mean, at least we have those conversations first and, and decide that before we really kick things kick things off and get running. But I think it's absolutely paramount importance to have a coach. And, and I would go as far as to say it's, it's important to have a coach during the off season, not just prep. Mm -hmm. um, I get athletes all the time that come to me and they're like, all right, time to do a prep 16 weeks. Help me get me injured. And half the time I say no, because mm -hmm. I know nothing about your body. So the first eight weeks are a learning curve for you and me. You have to learn how I program. If you've been doing high volume your entire life, and all of a sudden you get my training program, which is lower volume. And I have to teach you exercise mechanics for the first eight, eight weeks. Your first eight weeks are you doing a lot of thinking and learning sure. where you're not executing the way you should be. Right. Secondly, you're coming to me in a position where, okay, let's get some blood work done. Oh, your blood work is completely messed up. Well, sorry, I'm not putting you on stage because that's not what I believe in. Right. Mm -hmm. So I think there's a lot of uh, benefit to going into a contest prep season with somebody who understands your body, who's taken notes across a long period of time mm -hmm. and knows how the body responds to things um, versus just being like, okay, well, I've been working out for four years. I'm just going to hire a coach and do a show in 16 weeks. Right. Um, you know what I mean? Like I can get people in shape for that. Sure. Is it optimal? No. And does it leave things on the table where, where you might not be the best you could be? Absolutely. So I think, I mean, when it comes to investing in things in bodybuilding, a coach should be a, a primary investment in my opinion. And that's not just because I am one. Um, mm -hmm. That's because every single athlete that you see succeeding in this sport has a coach, right? So, so when you look at, when you look at your, at your athletes or just athletes in general, and you're going to, you know, there's the natural crowd and then the enhanced crowd, is it tough to like, is it easier to work kind of like focusing on one group or another group or like, cause there's a difference in programming and you know, there's, it's a different effort required, I think, in, in what you as a coach have to do in those two groups, right? Yeah, um, I, I don't think it's vastly different from my end, because I, I at this point, I do believe I have the knowledge to coach both very well. But mm -hmm. with that being said, there's a lot of things that you have to pay attention to um, on either side, right? Like, and this might sound wild for me to say, and, and there's going to be a lot of people that are like, what, when I say this, I think a lot of the time, actually, natural bodybuilding can be more unhealthy than enhanced bodybuilding. Mm -hmm. And how do I say that? Well, what happens when you get to extremely low levels of body fat um, dieting for a competition as a natural athlete? Well, your sex hormone production drastically tanks, your thyroid production drastically tanks, right? So those things mm -hmm. are, are just going to leave you in a position where it takes a lot of time to fix that. Right. Mm -hmm. and, and being in those states for long periods of time are also very unhealthy. Right. And I would argue they're just as unhealthy as being in very elevated states now, not taking into account the people who just recklessly use drugs and take crazy amounts 
But if, if, if PEDs are used properly, you can support the thyroid, for instance. And I actually just had a conversation with one of my athletes about this recently, educating her on this. Um, as there's studies showing that like, if you just diet yourself into the, into the floor and these studies were actually done on fitness competitors, um, if you diet yourself into the floor where you basically are very, very lean, your thyroid production gets shot. Now, mm -hmm. rebounding that may take three to five months to bring your thyroid production back, which mm -hmm. if you don't have a proper, a proper plan to do that, it can be really ugly in the sense that like very high levels of body fat, very quick, right? And, and things like that, thyroid issues, gut issues, hair, hair issues, like there's a lot of things that can come from that. Whereas on the flip side, if you're able to actually support that thyroid with a little bit of T3 and T4 or these kind of things, there are studies showing that when you cease that T3, T4 use, the thyroid can come back in three to four weeks, hmm. right? So it, yeah. it, we're talking three to five months versus three to four weeks sometimes. And especially if you use proper supplementation and stuff, and you're able to come off of that thyroid support in the right way, in my opinion, that's just a lot healthier. Now on the flip side, um, are you going to see major skews in, in things like cholesterols and LDLs and liver enzymes from mm -hmm. natural athletes? A lot of the time, no, but uh, in the, if sometimes, yeah, actually you do, right? Because right. as soon as all these sex hormone things pop up, there's just one thing. The entire body is a very, very efficient chain of things. And when one thing gets out of sync, a lot of other things get out of, of, out of sync, right? So mm -hmm. for instance, like you talk about, and this is something that gets talked about a bunch right now, but estrogen dominance. Well, what is uh, a leading cause of estrogen dominance? It's just overstress in the body. And, and a lot of times when you see females come out of contest preps, both enhanced and natural, they start to have bad gut issues and they start to get um, really, really bad estrogen dominance in the sense of the ratio of progesterone to estrogen is way off, right? And there's things you have to do to fix this. So in that sense, yeah, that might be mm -hmm. a little different, again, natural to enhanced, um, but there, there is differences there. I think at the end of the day, the effort required from the athlete side is going to be the same no matter what you better yeah. be going full tilt right like people think steroids are a cheat code they're not a lot of the time they're not quite frankly mm -hmm. if you're prepping a lot of the time some of these steroids are gonna um, drive appetite up and, and they're gonna make you you know right. what i mean so there's a lot of yeah. things that it, it's i love both i love bodybuilding as a whole um mm -hmm. but yeah there are there are differences in terms of the end result for sure yeah. because when you're pushing somebody to a, a level where their body doesn't want to go and you're not using something to support the sex hormones, the thyroid, things like that, things, the, the body fights and the body yeah. fights hard because the body is meant to survive, right? It's mm -hmm. everything is a survival mechanism. So when you have low levels of body fat as you're a competitor yourself in men's physique, and I'm sure at the tail end of your contest prep, when you were just peeled, I, I've seen the pictures of you, there was no sex drive. Probably your, your brain wasn't yeah. working properly. You have the brain yeah. fog and that's because your body is meant to survive and it says to you okay this is not a state to reproduce in because i'm trying right. to survive i'm famished i'm trying to survive and with that said too right like where are where are sex hormones synthesized and transported well mm -hmm. in body fat in in, in right. Lipid, yeah. right in fat so there's a lot of these things that yeah there's differences and there's similarities but at the end of the day natural and, and enhanced bodybuilding are drastically different things in my opinion I, I think it's been pretty exciting over the last, I don't know if it's 12 months or longer or shorter, but it seems like the 
I don't know, the media world has opened up and, and pretty much everyone's, at, you know, admitting, except for uh, O'Hearn, he's the only, he'll be yeah. the last guy. Yeah. Um, everyone else is admitting that they, uh, you know, Cali Muscle has a yeah. video now where he's saying, I, I never said I wasn't. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yes, he did, actually. Yeah. And, you know, and it's so it, it's been it's nice because I think that opens the door to a lot safer use of it. For sure, which is great. But what do you what do you think? You know, like there's a huge temptation to young, and I think it's mostly young men who who jump on as soon as they can get their hands on something, and then there's that feedback loop. Well, I got bigger. Everyone said, "Oh, you look great." And then you want more, and then you want more. Like, what's the advice to a, to a younger athlete who's you know kind of getting into it? Well, and this is a conversation that I personally have with every athlete that I work with, if they are a young person, and I. I coach 18 year olds who want to compete and, and mm -hmm. I've had people come to me at 17 years old that want to take steroids. Um, I think unless you've really, really been perfect with things for a long mm -hmm. period of time, you have no business even thinking about steroids, right? Like unless you, you've been hundred percent on your meals, on your, your training for two years plus, and you've actually maximized what you can do. Why do you want to touch steroids? Because they're not a cheat mm -hmm. code. Like I said, yeah. You need to actually still put in that effort. And in fact, when I work with somebody, if you're a natural athlete and you want to go the enhanced route, that's earned. You need to mm -hmm. prove to me that you deserve to take that because I'm not going to put you on something if you're not somebody who can adhere to a plan. Um, right. One of the things I tell everybody too, and, and whether, they're, whether they're a young individual or an old, older individual, um, and just for a caveat here, I've absolutely never put a 17-year-old or an 18 year old on steroids and I never would. But with that being said, um, whether they're, they're younger, 18, 19, 20, whatever it is, or 45, 50, 60, it's like mm -hmm. when somebody comes to you and, and wants to have the conversation about PEDs, the first thing I tell everyone is this is a lifelong decision because mm -hmm. there are no guarantees. You may be on replacement therapy for the rest of your life. Mm -hmm. um, I'm a firm believer that there, there's different approaches in, in bodybuilding and there's the blast and cruise approach. There's the blast and come off approach. I personally am a very, very firm believer that the healthiest model in that sense is a blast and cruise, cruise approach, especially if you plan on using steroids over the long term. Yeah. Because to come off completely and do it healthily, you have to stay at, at a very low hormonal level and slowly bring your hormones back. Well, being down here is just as unhealthy as being up here for mm -hmm. your brain, for your heart, for everything. Whereas if you blast and cruise and you ride that midline at a, and you mimic your natural produ production with cruise doses, well, you're going to stay in a lot better position. You can manage all of the health things and whatnot. Like that's what I do. And then mm -hmm. again, that I, I have made the decision that I will be cruising for the rest of my life. And that's okay. It doesn't mm -hmm. bother me from that sense. Um, because I feel a lot better. And I, again, I have my own reasons for doing that, but it's a decision somebody makes because when you put that needle in you for the first time, there are no guarantees mm -hmm. that you will be able to get your hormone production back. But right. with the advances in, in the community and, and pharmacology and, and those things that we have, yeah, I mean, a lot of the times you look at all these top bodybuilders who have ran more than most of us ever will in our lives the, the Flex Lewis's and stuff, right, who are very, very good bodybuilders, they have kids and, and whatnot, right, so everyone thinks, okay, you take some steroids, you're never going to have kids, that's not the thing, but mm -hmm. there is a chance, you can't disregard the chance right. that yeah. it could mess things up for sure, so that's a decision the individual has to make, I never make that decision for somebody, 
I give them the facts. I tell them what it is. I taught, I teach them about the drug itself and that's on them to make that decision. If you're willing to make that decision and you come to me and say, yes, I'm ready to start. Well, like I said, I have the, the prerequisites. Have you followed your plan diligently without screwing up week after week for six plus months? Have you had un, un, basically unwanted cheat meals? Have you skipped training sessions? Have you skipped check-ins? There's so many things that I look for and mm -hmm. you better be relentless in your pursuit to improve your physique to prove to me that you're worthy of actually using something that does bring risk upon it. Because if you're not, and you're just somebody who literally just wants to take drugs to improve your physique, well, I'm not the guy to work with you because I want to work with yeah. people that are serious about this. Yeah. It's interesting. I've, I've been in and out of the gym. Well, I've been in the gym since, uh, since I was young. And so I, I can, I can easily claim that I've been in the gym for over 40 years now. Yep. And I, and I don't know if I've hit my genetic potential yet, but I think it's Jeez, just man, you around, day, you don't look a day over 40. So uh, it's just around the corner. I think I got like the next workout. That's my genetic potential. I'm right there. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So you worked with that. Uh, we were both at a show and I was uh, emceeing and you were, you were coaching and you had a, an athlete there, uh, Patrick Plowman. Did you have other athletes? You had Patrick Plowman there. So I actually only had uh, just Patrick in this show. Just Patrick, okay. There was, some, there was some reasons for that too, but one of our coaches on, on the team, he was actually prepping his first ever athletes for this show. Oh, okay, awesome. Um, yeah, and Patrick Patrick did great. And, you know, yes, he did. I was yeah, very and I talked, to, uh, I talked to some of the judges afterwards and who had seen him before on stage and, and they said that his legs had really done, you know, done something marvelous with his legs. They really came up and that was impressive. So did he finished... I was always on the side, so I was. It was hard to see what yeah, was yeah. going on at an angle. Um, but he did great. What were your, what were your thoughts on on his performance for that show? Yeah, I was ex I was extremely happy. So Patrick won the uh, Masters forty plus bodybuilding. He won the heavyweight bodybuilding, and then he won the overall in bodybuilding. So we we definitely went in there and did did what we wanted to do, mm -hmm. um, which I was very very happy with. I learned a ton about his body because it was the first time I had ever peaked him. Um, and we had to push him to get to where we got for sure. And, and we're still pushing him as we head into yeah. trial here, but awesome things, things worked really well. I mean, at the end of the day, I think between Patrick and I working together, we created a very, very good relationship and we relieved some mental barriers. And I think for a while there, bodybuilding for him had almost become a chore and we made it fun again. And I can't tell you how it was just amazing working with Patrick, the amount of messages I got just saying thank you for things and stuff and i'm like you don't gotta thank me man this is what i love and we just got yeah. you doing what you love again yeah. yeah when it comes to kind of how we approach things and, and bringing up the the topic of the legs um everybody is different right in terms of what their structures can do and whatnot and, and patrick has some some pretty bad lower back issues so mm -hmm. we had to work around that and and obviously i'm a very big proponent just have sec can you have second this i'm just gonna there, we're just recording it. Just start back where you said they're just 10 seconds in. All right. So yeah, to, to bring up Patrick's legs, we, uh, we had a, a little bit different approach because everybody has different body mechanics and yeah. there, there are certain things you need to focus on, right? So because of that, Patrick, obviously, like I had mentioned, has a, some bad low back issues. Um, so some of the things that I would normally like to use to bring up the thickness and density in the posterior chain like rdls or stiff like deadlifts and heavy loading yeah. in that sense it was just really tough for us to do and we tried i tried to work on them with mechanics i review all my athletes training via video so every check-in my athletes are sending me videos which i i think is one of the reasons why mm -hmm. i do i am able to improve athletes because at the end of the day 
training execution is yeah. a big thing. Sending a plan yeah. is one thing, but if you don't know how an athlete is actually doing yeah. those movements, how do you know they're targeting the right muscle? Yeah, right. So we designed Patrick's we split in a way and, and his previous coach too had a very similar approach to volume and stuff with me, but mm -hmm. I think there needed to just be a little bit more love and care around certain things. So we really prioritized um, single joint movements for, for his hamstrings because we couldn't do a ton on the sense of lower back loading, right? So right. we were limited in that sense, but low volume, high frequency, high intensity, this guy trains hard, man. And that's what we really, we really made sure he was doing here. And I mean, I'm talking every single set I had him in the gym doing was to failure and beyond. Wow. And not a lot of people can tap into that place, but once you get somebody to do it, that's where true physique changes happen. And yeah. like talk, going back to my own physique changes, and this is kind of where I had built this mentality behind my training and the methodologies that I use. That's what changed the most for me. When I went from 230 pounds with high levels of body fat in off season, to 250 pounds with a six pack still. And don't get me wrong. I was fat. I was chubby. I wasn't shredded, but I still had my abs and everything and lines right. in my legs. That's what changed for me was my mentality behind training, the way I was training, the effort I was putting forth in my training, the volume came down, the intensity went up and it just makes you realize, wow, there's something here. So mm -hmm. then I started working on it with other people and seeing other people change. And, and that's realistically what we did. We maximized the efficiency of his training I wasn't putting him into the gym to just kill him every session. I was putting him into the gym to give him recoverable volume, paying mm -hmm. attention to what he could recover from and maximizing the frequency, which we were hitting the hamstrings at. And at the same time, maximizing the loading and, and the intensity when every time he stepped in the gym, yeah, we checked those boxes and what did it result in? It resulted in drastically different side shots because previously he had zero oh. hamstring and oh, he knew okay. it like it was, it was no hamstring. And now he can sit on his hamstring and there is a hamstring there. Wow. Is there more room to improve it? Yeah. Over the long time there is, but I mean, it's one of those things, right? Where people say as bodybuilders age, you can't improve their legs. Well, Patrick's over 40 years old and yeah. we brought, we brought in hamstrings that didn't exist before. Wow. His quads still look phenomenal. Right. So, yeah. so here's, and you know, leading into maybe a bit into the training concepts is if you have an athlete, I'm just trying to think through this and I'll say it as I think through it, but so if you have an athlete and you're trying to push them, do you, do you lean towards, you know, towards the failure side and, and, you know, pushing someone super hard, or do you lean towards shorter breaks and like, and I get, you know what I mean? Like, we're kind yeah, of like yeah. You're, yeah. you're just doing lots of volume or are you pushing really hard and heavy? I mean, it's almost like a bit of a spectrum, right? Yeah. So I'll, I'll give you kind of insight to that here. Um, I don't have my athletes time their rest periods really. Hmm. Why? Because yeah. I want them going into every set with a gun to their head. And if they quit early, that gun goes off. So mm -hmm. what I want you to do is I want you to rest until the point you're in a position where you can do that. And if right. you're still fatigued and you still have a pump or your lactic acid is built up or you're still breathing heavy from your previous set, you can't do that. It's going to be yeah. your cardiovascular system that's preventing you from actually taking the muscles to failure. So, yeah. um, I mean, uh, there'll be rough guidelines. Like I'll tell somebody on a heavy set of hack squats between their next set, I want you to take three to five minutes, but if that ends up being seven minutes, I don't care if that yeah. ends up being two and a half minutes and you're a hundred percent sure that you can give it everything your next set. Right. Then two and a half minutes it is versus, you know what I mean? Like a single joint movement, like a bicep curl, yeah, nobody in the world is going to need five minutes to recover from no. a, one, a single arm preacher curl, right? Like there's right. no way. Yeah. 
So it, it depends on that. Um, but I will 100%. When I say intensity, I'm talking um, load and I'm talking overall effort put forth to move that load. Mm-hmm. I'm not talking about high, uh, high reps, low yeah. volume, or sorry, high reps, low rest, that kind of stuff. So yeah. for me, I have, a, I have a, a thought process in the sense of, okay, well, most people go in the gym and will say they do five or six exercises and they do three to four sets. So let's, let's kind of go in the middle. We say five exercises, four sets each. That's 20 sets in a workout. You can't train to failure for 20 sets in a no. workout. You, you actually can't. There's no way because if you think, if you are, well, those last 10 sets are yeah. nowhere near the intensity of right. the first 10. You're, yes, you might be going to the point you can't go anymore. But yeah. if I gave you a very similar load to what you did in the first half of the workout, it would not even be close to what you're doing in the second half. So right. my yeah. methodology is, okay, we need to bring up your chest. Well, you were previously doing 20 half-assed sets or, or maybe 20 sets where the first 10 were good and the last 10 are unrecoverable volume that are just yeah. junk volume. Well, why don't we take, you need to bring up your chest. Let's give you two chest sessions in a week. And we're going to give you 10 sets each, 10 sets each chest session. So now mm-hmm. those second 10 sets of chest you're doing, they're not in the same session. They're in the same week. So your volume yeah, yeah. across the week is the same, but you're getting way more out of that. Cause now your, mm-hmm. your cup is full and you're giving everything to those 10 sets. Right. And yeah, you, I haven't like that. Pushed, yeah. you haven't pushed past that area of not being able to recover, right? Because right. maximum recoverable volume or, or minimum recoverable volume is, is kind of <clears throat> what we're shooting for, right? right? Or I should, sorry, it's maximum recoverable volume. The, the yeah. total volume that you can recover from to elicit a stimulus that's going to have a response where you're going to build tissue, right. right? And a lot of people, in my opinion, I don't like the term overtraining. I like mm-hmm. the term under recovering because right. you get to a point in every training session where you're digging yourself into a hole. And if you can't climb out of that hole with recovery, your, your trends upwards in terms of your physique mm-hmm. are not going to mm-hmm. go this way. They're going to stay like this. And for some people, they even go like this, right? Mm -hmm. And that's kind of where I'm at. So I'm a very, most of my athletes, their training sessions are eight to 12 sets in a single session. And people are like, what? Well, that's what it takes. You know what I mean? Like for myself, I have dominant legs and uh, not right now, but previously I was training quads once every 16 days for eight sets. Yeah my quads didn't go anywhere. I have, I still have the quads I had before doing yeah. that. It was, yeah. I think, um, who is it? Uh, who's the guy with the massive legs from the eighties? Um, Tom, uh, Platts. Tom Platts. He yeah. used to train twice a month. Yeah, exactly. He did quads twice a month. <laughs> well, that's exactly it. Right. But and he like, part of it blow is to them up. Yeah. He would blow up his quads when he trained. Yeah. 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 Right. So, and that's, that's just it. I mean, there's more than one way to skin a cat. I'm never going to be yeah. the guy that sit here and says everything's black and white and you need to train eight to 12 sets. But right. I am a very, very firm believer and I will fight this till the day that I die. And I'll stand on the hill with this flag that a lot of people need to train harder and do less. Yeah. Less is more when it comes to bodybuilding, as long as the effort is there. And yeah. sure, there are people that can grow. And a lot of these top bodybuilders in the world, um, do train very high volume. And it's like, well, how did they get there? Well, you need to realize they are the genetically elite and they could do anything and build the physique that they have. Now you add in some of them take astronomical amounts of drugs to be able to recover from that. And that's where they are. Right. But there is a trend. You look at some of the best bodybuilders currently, 
most of them train in a lower volume fashion. You look at James mm-hmm. Holden's head, Nick Walker, Brett Wilkin. You know what? All these young guys coming up, they're they're Ian Ian Valier, right? They have mm-hmm. lower volume approaches to training because they can connect well with tissues. There's a lot of damage being done with every single contraction that they do, and they're trying to recover the best way possible. Yeah, yeah, I like that. I think that's you know I it's maybe a topic that's been on my mind a lot in the last while is when I watch people work out and maybe it's being caused by this proliferation of online coaching, you know, where yeah. just everybody's a coach and, and like oh, anybody can send anybody a routine that says bench press three sets yeah, flies three sets. And then, but there's no intensity attached to it. And, you know, it's just, you're just going through the motions. Like you said, you're just, just putting in junk volume. hundred percent. Yeah. And we won't get into that topic about everybody being a coach. Yeah. <laughs> I could, I could talk for days, but my, my point on that is just because you're a good athlete or a successful athlete does not mean you can coach people because you can follow a diet does not mean you can write one because you can take a drug does not mean you understand a drug. Right. Yeah. And, and that's where for me, it, it, it sucks because I end up being the guy that has to fix a lot of people's problems that come from coaches that had absolutely no idea what they were doing. And mm-hmm. trust me, it's every other week. Yeah. I've had people, I've had people. Um, and actually this year I had it and, it's almost a slap in the face, but at the same time, it's, it just brings a realization about. So um, very recently I had somebody reach out to me and they had applied with me last summer and they wanted me to prep them. They wanted me to do an off season with them and prep them this year. And then they ended up basically were like, yeah, let's get started. Um, never heard back from them. Ghosted me mm-hmm. is what it is. Not worried about it. Then they get, they get back to me um, just recently. They were six weeks out of um, T and it would have been sorry, Alberta open. And they had to remove themselves from a show. Uh, their coach did some very astronomical shit with them. Their health was completely skewed. And wow. now they come to me to fix it. And I'm like, mm-hmm. listen, man, what do you want me to do? You can't do this show. You're completely screwed up. And, and you decided to make the decision to go with somebody that had absolutely no clue what they were doing. And yeah, it might've saved you a couple of dollars, but you also may be done bodybuilding for the rest of your life now. And that's the reality of, of this situation, right? And I'm not saying that people need to just hire me. There are a lot of good coaches out there, but there's a lot of horrible coaches out there. And it really drives me nuts. I had a, a really good conversation recently with Jenna from Bombshell um, talking about this type of thing. And I'm somebody who wants to grow the sport. I want to see the sport be mainstream and well-known. Mm-hmm. And when this stuff happens, especially for athletes early in their bodybuilding career, it turns them away from the sport and makes the sport yeah. look bad. Right. So I don't know. I mean, at the end of the day, I do think eventually these, these coaches will be weeded out, but mm-hmm. I think it's also on the athlete to make sure they're doing their homework, asking the questions. And for coaches, like if you're somebody who is doing that, just take a look at yourself in the mirror and ask if you really have what it takes to care about people, because this is people's health you're playing with at the end of the yeah. day. Yeah. I think, yeah. I guess the other interesting part of it is that, you know, most of these people that are going out and getting coaches, they're not, they're not headed to the Olympia. They're, you know, they're going to go on stage for a regional show. They're going to get up there. They probably, unless there's three people, they're not going to be third. (laughs) They're going to be somewhere in the mix. And, you know, so yeah, I guess it's unfortunate that these coaches exist, but maybe they're just buddies and maybe that's all that they can really register themselves as, as their workout buddy online. At the end of the day, people need to look after themselves. You are your own maker and you need to care about yourself, right? Like there's a very, there's a situation that I won't dive into here, but it happened to a friend of mine who's a very good coach and kind of almost mentor him a little bit and then go over some things with him here and there. And he had an athlete leave him 
Um, and it's simply the reason the athlete left was because he wanted more drugs. It sounded like, and my, my friend had him on a very, very, it was his first exposure. The first time this kid has ever taken any PEDs. And it was a very smart laid out plan, very low dosage. He was getting a ton of results. He looked incredible. This guy switches coaches, goes and work with somebody. It's his first time doing PEDs, keep in mind. And he's a couple weeks out of his first show now. And he's on over one, he's on like 1.4 grams of gear. And it's like, what? Like you're, you're 22 years old and you've never taken this before. And you're using more than people who have been doing this for five, six years are using in your first time. Now, where do you go? Right. And and people wonder why people get hurt. Right. That's the stuff that like, sorry, I sound like I'm getting fired up probably because I am, (laughs) I I, I am a little bit, but like that really drives me nuts because you give our sport a bad name. You hurt people. That's not okay. Yeah. I, um, it was interesting. I had a, an, an experience where I was, I was kind of looking around for a coach and I, you know, I'd seen some good stuff out of this one guy and, and I won't name him, but people will probably get it. But I, I sent him a message and then I got text messages back and I, I saved the texts. They're terrible. And, and it was like, Hey, I'm going to this natural show. I want to, you know, I want to do well. I want to win. And then the first question out of this guy is what PDs are you on? And I'm like, I'm not, this is a natural show. And I'm like, and then the next message was, you need to be on PEDs. You're going to do really good. And I said, well, it's a natural show and I need to be natural in order to compete in it. Yeah. But if you did have PEDs, you probably go pro. And I'm like, okay, fair enough, but I'm staying in the natural. It was like, it was like, dude, give up. I'm going to be natural for this show. I'm going to be natural for the next show. You got to let me do that. And he just would not stop. I just dumped him like in a heartbeat. I I have, uh, have, again, a a unique mindset on that. But the the fact of the matter is, and I was at nationals last year, natural nationals, I had two athletes doing it. Both placed phenomenally well, both got second place in their respective classes. And uh, I'm 100% sure. Well, one of them, I know for sure. Um, the people that beat them were on PEDs. Yeah. Right. And and like I myself am somebody who prides myself on that. I will never put somebody in a natural tested show having taken a natural yeah. performance handling drug. Did, did I see you at that show? I was at that show. Did I see you? Uh I didn't see you there, but I had seen you at the previous qualifying show. But I was there. Oh. Yeah. I was there last year for that was at Toronto. Toronto, yeah. November yeah. 27th. I had, uh, oh. I had Samantha Nicholson and Bryce Cardinal in that show. Oh, okay. Well, there is definitely guys on steroids at that show. There, there is at every natural show, and it, it makes me it makes me sick, partially because what are you doing? You know what I mean? Yeah. Like you're literally showing up at a natural show with people who actually are natural. Yeah. How do you sleep at night? Like, congratulations. Mm-hmm. You took a performance enhancing and drug, which literally will improve your performance and your physique. Yeah. And great. You won, you won the medal around your neck. Congratulations. Yeah. You beat a bunch of guys who aren't enhanced. Well, the fact of the matter is the reason you're doing this is because you can't hang with the big dogs that are actually taking PEDs and you yeah. would get just mopped with them. Right. Yeah. So it's, it's a, it's a small, small complex that people have. And it's, it's pretty bad if you ask me. And I have athletes who have came to me from working with other coaches that told me they were natural athletes, but then I find out they weren't actually natural athletes. They competed in natural shows and they had taken PEDs under these other coaches because these coaches pushed it on them. And some of these athletes don't know better. Right. right? So that again, that's a whole nother can of worms that we won't get into, but you're, you're yourself, you are a lifetime natural athlete. And that's yeah. something to be proud of for sure. If that's a decision you've made. And, and, you I, and I, you know, realistic, I know I can't compete with the guys in the open. Like I just yeah. can't, like I'm, they're bigger than me. They're cutter than more cut than me. They're I just like, funny I can story, do what I can do. Story, actually. So last year at the Alberta open, yeah. I had a 
classic physique guy who in the natural show who was 100% natural great physique some small things I, I knew may hold him back his lats weren't as big and wide but phenomenal legs conditioning was insane and uh, we ended up not winning our class at the natural show and he said to me what, what's your thoughts on me registering for the open show tomorrow I was like let's do it man let's see where we stack up and I had another yeah. athlete I had another athlete in his class yeah sorry I had two so I had three guys in one class yeah and or I guess they weren't they were in the overall together so two guys in one yeah. class and Bryce actually ended up going to the open show and winning the open show. He didn't, he didn't win the natural show, but he went into the open show and, and won the natural show. And uh, yeah, it was, it was uh, wild. And I, I actually just started working with um, Taylor who won the overall there. So in the overall, there was four athletes and I'm now coaching three. Yeah. That just goes like, it's just so much ego driven. Some of that, you know, where you just it like, is. yeah, yeah. You don't need to just no. compete where you should be in. Yes. Well, and it, and it even goes up to the highest level, right? Like I know there, there are some Ben Weeder pro athletes who like won the Ben Weeder pro in some divisions that were enhanced and are now going to the Olympia yeah. as a natural athlete, but yeah. they were an enhanced athlete. And like, I know it, I know people who literally like were in relationships with these people and they were taking things while they were in relationships. And right. like, what are you doing? Right. Yeah. I mean, we won't get into that, but anyways, yeah. it's just, it's tough. About a little, it, it says a lot about people's character, right? And and I mean that's that's yeah. everything. So so what's uh what's the funniest thing that's ever happened at a show? I'm curious. You've been to a lot of shows. What's oh. the crazy stuff? Oh, um, so uh, I'm trying to think here. This is this is the tough one. Um, <laughs> I would say probably last year, and this wasn't my athlete or anything like that. Um, but last year there was somebody who came backstage into the tanning tents at the Alberta open and crawled up into like a ball on the floor oh. and was like having a nap. And uh, there's, there's other people who could tell you a little bit more, but yeah, it was just, uh, it was wild. Um, yeah. <laughs> I'm trying to think of some things here that would just be hilarious for me nothing's really funny on show weekends it's all business yeah. for me so yeah <laughs> um i trying to think i don't got any if I, maybe i'll yeah. come back to it if i think of something funny but i don't know if it's i don't know if it's funny or if it's just so i can i can tell you i can tell you something about actually patrick plowman's prep yeah um 11 days out we're 11 days out and mm -hmm. he's he's suffering pretty good but like again suffering is a relative term some yeah. people are on zero carbs Patrick was not on zero carbs, Yeah, um, but he's, he's dieted down and he's tired. And I get a message from him that he's quitting. He's quitting bodybuilding. He's done with the show. He's, <laughs> I'm like, what's going on That's here? And, so I good. Wife, and I get a message from his wife. Cause me and Sarah chat all the time. Cause she helps him with meal prep and stuff like yeah. that. She's kind of warning me that Patrick's going to be texting me and she's sending me the screenshots of what he's saying to her. And we're like, okay, we got to rope this in. What the hell is going on here? Yeah. And, uh, so I'm, I'm messaging Patrick and in long story short, he blew his back out at 11 days out and he does have a bad back like we talked about. Right. Mm -hmm. um, so I'm like, listen, man, like don't do anything right now. Do not make any rash decisions yeah. right now. And uh, he was on his way. I guess he had texted Sarah and he was on his way to get some food and stuff. And we were just like talking him down from this so bad, but yeah. long story short, he didn't end up doing it. And he's like, what do I do? And I was like, you're going to rest. And he's like, I'm 11 days out. I can't just take a bunch of days off. I'm like, yes, you can. Yeah. Yes, you can. <laughs> and then sure enough, 
the next morning he he wakes up and he's like, coach, I got to go do cardio. And I was like, you're not going to do anything. You're resting. Yeah. He's like, okay, fine. I'll listen to you and blah, 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 blah. Next day comes around. Coach, I have to go train. I have to do cardio. How's the back? Uh, it's, it's a little bit better, but it's still pretty messed up. Yeah. Pat, you're not doing a damn thing. And then we kind of got into it a little bit. And I said to him, like, listen, I want you to win. You need to understand, like, I also want to see you win. If you think I want to see you lose, that ain't the truth. You know that yeah. I want to see you win. Um, but he's just, again, he's such a killer mentality, right? He just wants to go, wants to go, yeah. wants to win so bad. He'll train through whatever pain. And that's where mm -hmm. I know there's issues because if you are just training through that pain, yeah. it's going to cause inflammation and, and water retention and stuff. So it's like, let's right. go back. So I had that conversation with him and uh, he finally ends up saying, okay, fine. I'll rest one more day. I get a voice note from him the next morning and he literally said word for word, I hate to fucking say this to you. I hate it. It kills me to say this to you. But once again, you were right, coach. And I just burst out laughing. And he was like, I feel That's so perfect. I feel so good this morning. And I got him to send me poses to make sure he could hit his poses. Yeah. That. oh that's cool he wasn't just saying oh yeah i'm not in pain anymore but he yeah. literally had felt better and we roped him in again and he didn't but that's just one of those things and i've dealt yeah. with that before right like there's there's i had an athlete get an, infe an infection from an injection hmm. uh, on peak week and it's like oh my goodness what are we going to do here yeah luckily for that one I, I had never navigated that before but i do have some friends like mm -hmm. you know, I, I talk with matt jensen here and there and i know he's somebody that i can always bounce things off of um, so I messaged Matt and I was like, Hey man, what's your approach here? Here's what I'm thinking of doing. Um, and I just want to hear what you would do. And he sends me a picture back of his athlete stepping on stage the same day as mine with a massive infection from a shot Ooh. in his arm. Ooh. He's like, I'm dealing with the same thing, man. Wow. And he's like, here's what I'm going to do. And I was like, okay, I'm doing the exact same thing. So we're on track and see how it goes. Yeah. Um, Matt's okay. guy, he ended up having to pull out of the show and put into a different show just because it had gotten so bad. And that's a risk, right? That's no, yeah, for sure. Um, mine, we actually, it, it did recover well enough that we Good. were able to step on stage and he ended up winning and he, he did very uh, well, but that's awesome. again, just, I guess they're not funny stories, but they're yeah. things that I thought it, I thought it was pretty funny when uh, Patrick won and then Sarah was presenting prizes and then she comes up and, and then we have a presenter kissing an athlete and it's yeah. like, what nobody knows yeah. in the audience that this yeah. is okay <laughs> kids, kids run up on stage it was that was a cool moment though you know what i mean yeah, like, sure. I, I know pat very well now and i know for he's worked for that for a long time right yeah he's just never gotten it so for that to happen in his hometown in front of his family like the last show he did was here in edmonton okay the things didn't go the way they wanted and uh he worked for for a good amount of time to make that happen again and there we are yeah, that's pretty awesome. When's your when's the next show that you have people at? Uh, Toronto, actually. So I leave on uh, I leave Thursday morning. I'll be in Toronto. And that's the what show is that? That's Pro, Toronto Pro Super Show. Pro Super Show. Okay. So that's cool. the uh, the amateur and the pro show. I only okay. have I only have Patrick doing that show, and then I have uh, a handful here in TNT, and then we'll be going with that crew over to uh, Van Pro, where I'm going to be doing two pro debuts with two of my pro oh, athletes. Wow, is Patrick in that one? uh so patrick's just doing toronto right now Toronto, okay we'll see i mean yeah. there is no masters pro card in vancouver right so only in toronto there is so we're okay. stopping there first and um we'll talk if we if we need to do another show we might go back for yeah shows in october but we'll see we'll see where things are at that's cool that's exciting
yeah yeah it's uh i'm excited for it all so it, it's a busy couple of uh, months here coming up yeah. it'll be nice at the tail end of it i i have my two-month honeymoon or two-week honeymoon so oh, really months. yeah wow. i'm going away for my uh honeymoon in oh. uh september so that'll be i don't you i'm not a guy that usually takes vacations or time away from work yeah. so, and my wife deserves a little bit of time so nice. we'll be we'll be going away and having a, a little bit of relaxed time i mean i will still have some athletes on prep so yeah. i'll check-ins yeah. and stuff with those athletes but for the rest of my athletes i'm basically just going to push their payment two weeks so that they haven't paid for two weeks they weren't coached sure. yeah i know everybody's supportive of that stuff and it i need a break too here and there yeah. right to, to reset yep. come back yeah. full batteries so i'm excited for that for sure but i just want to have a winning season first man i got i got big goals yeah. for this season with the team and i'm excited for yeah that. i think it's it's interesting and i like I, I'm not a coach, but I have a certification to coach. And, you know, I get a lot of people and they're amateur. They're, you know, they're, they're just starting out They're You know, at some point they should get a real coach, but they come to me and they ask me questions. And it's like, yeah, I don't know how you deal with even two people. Like, never mind. Like, however many you deal with is shocking. Like I'll have people say, okay, uh, here's what, what do you think of this? And then, and then I got to think about it. And then someone else will ask a question. And it's like, I don't know how you keep track of all of them. It's it's shocking, actually. I'm uh, I'm a data nerd, so yeah. I have spreadsheets with everything. Now, I, I'm not going to lie and sit here like there there are times it can get mentally exhausting because you do work. Yeah. With, sometimes people are very neurotic, right? And that's not yeah. their own doing, and then it's not their own fault. But people are just individually different from each other, and and some people are very neurotic in the sense that like they're asking a question about every single thing every minute of the day, and yeah, it's. Yeah. I have a really good system that I put in place with my athletes and I have a very detailed questionnaire. So like on your check-in day, once a week, you can tell me about almost everything that I need to know. You're sending me seven days worth of weights. You're sending me blood glucose. You're sending me issues on digestion. You name it. It's taking right. And the reason I do that is to kind of make things standardized in the sense that I get all the information I need on a, on a weekly basis in your check-in. Now, of course, if there's an emergency and I am friend, I become friends with all of my athletes as well. And we all, all of my work is done through WhatsApp with them. So I have my WhatsApp on my computer all day and I have their Excel spreadsheets and stuff. And I, I, everything's data to me. Right. Yeah. But it also is, and this is an area that I've really had to work on further. Um, as somebody who does become very close with their athletes and develops close relationships, you have to keep a firm line between friend and coach because right. when that line gets blurred, now decision-making gets blurred on the right. athlete's part and the coach's part. And if my decision-making is blurred because I care about you more as a friend than I care mm -hmm. about your results, well, I'm not going to push you as hard as I need to. And that's going to make your product self suffer. And then at the end of the day, that's probably going to hurt our friendship anyways. So for yeah. me, I, I wear the hat of friend, but I also wear the hat as coach. Everybody mm -hmm. on this team is my family from my coaches to my athletes. And I, I will always take care of them, but yeah. I'm going to push them. Right. And then being able to wear the hat of coach is a really, really important thing. And I think that's where some people mess up. They blur those lines. Yeah. Um, I've surely done it in the past. And that was a learning curve for me, making sure that I set those boundaries. And I set boundaries with my athletes too. like, listen, you don't have to message me every single day, 12 times a day about this and that, <laughs> you know what I mean? And it's yeah, like, yeah. and <clears throat> some people do, and it's, it's okay. But it's like, if you're sending me your training videos every single day, and then you're sending me more training videos on check-in. Well, that's not fair to your 20 teammates who are checking in sure. every other day because I have to watch their training videos. And right. we have these conversations and it's just a respect thing. And it, it goes back right. to, 
I am stern in some things. My athletes yeah. have to check in before a certain time because if th- that time isn't met and all of a sudden check-ins are coming in at 4 or 5 p.m., well, I've been working on check-ins since 5.30 this morning. Right. And I do have a life. I need to train. I have a wife I need to see. And normally I'm on my yeah. computer for 12 plus hours. And if your check-in comes in at the end of that or after that, it's just disrespectful for you to expect me to have to sit in my computer for 14, 16 hours a day. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So I put all these guidelines with my athletes and everybody follows it. And if you mm-hmm. don't follow it, like, and people know, and, and it, it is a standard that I've had to set. And it was really hard for me to do when mm-hmm. I have an athlete's check-in come in at 4 PM and I still have six check-ins to do. And I got, I'm doing this at, at 7 PM. So I have to be done. Well, I had to force myself to not do those check-ins. And I told my athletes, you will always get a same day response. Every athlete will, unless I reach out to you and tell you there's a reason why you aren't. Mm-hmm. But if your check-ins coming in late, I can't promise you get a same day sure. response. And I can't promise you even get a response because you're not respecting your teammates or my time. And right. that's where, again, it's communication and trust. So I'm, a, I'm very big on communication. I communicate all my expectations for my athletes and I expect them to do the same with me. And if those expectations are astronomical on day one, I'm going to tell them, hey, these are not going to be met because I'm not here to be your handholder. You cannot text me 50 times a day, every day with this, 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 this. Hey, coach, can I put an extra one gram of salt on this meal? Can I do this? You know what I mean? Like small things like that that just really don't matter at certain points. Yeah. Like wait till your check-in. Compile a list of 20 questions for me if you want. I'll make sure I answer those questions when I respond with a video or a voice note to your check-in. Yeah. It was funny. There's this one guy, like, I guess I'm not his coach, just fair disclaimer, but I'm kind of helping him with his diet planning. And he sent me a text message one time and he goes, is it okay if I eat peanut butter? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so what do you think? He says, yeah. Why are you asking me these questions? Yeah. No, <laughs> you never get to eat peanut yeah. butter. What's yeah. um, do you, do you have people on to uh, tracking programs or? Their- no. So I, I do everything. I don't, I'm not a fan of those apps and stuff like that. Everything for me is I have, like I said, I have a very in-depth spreadsheet that I've created that has yeah. all my athletes diet. I send them a PDF mm. of it on kind of day one yeah. and uh, same with their training program is on a, a spreadsheet here now. And uh, basically when, when they get that, I make a um, like a word document version with everything written out in terms of like, okay, here's your supplements, this one with this meal, this one with this meal, here's your cardio, yeah. here's your meal one X food, X amount of food, Y amount of food, et cetera, all the way through all their meals. Um, and then basically I just take that word document and that's copy and pasted into WhatsApp. Mm-hmm. So every time I make diet changes, I change it on their Excel, Excel spreadsheet that has all the macronutrients, the sodium, potassium, everything under yeah. the sun on there. And then I just adjust it in the WhatsApp, send it back to them. So the first one, they get kind of the PDF. That's a nice fancy thing. Yeah. The reason I had to get away from sending the PDFs every time was, well, I have a lot of athletes and when you're updating oh, diets every week or every other week, I ended up burning through three hard drives on my laptop. Oh, and that's crazy. Finally, I yeah. was like, I got to figure some out here. I just couldn't figure out why my laptop kept freezing and dying. <laughs> I'm like, okay, this has got to be, there's got to yeah. be another way to do this. And actually I did yeah. kind of like a, I did like a pilot study with some of my athletes, a handful of them. And I tried it first and they were all like, this is way better. It's mm-hmm. way easier. It's in one yeah. spot. You're just telling me what to eat. I don't need to look at macronutrients. It's literally just eat this, this, this. Oh, okay. Um, and I so do have some athletes that I do macros with too. Yeah. But I'm a firm believer that if you want to do macros, that needs to be earned. Um, yeah. You need to tell me you can follow a structured diet first because mm. if it fits your macros and right. flexible dieting, as well as like 
an actual macro diet are not the yeah. same thing. Saving yeah. all your calories for a donut at the end of the day is not going to benefit your benefit your physique at all. Yeah. So, so, so you're, di you're dictating, that sounds heavy, but uh, you're dictating the, uh, the actual food they're eating and the weight of that food. Is yes. That and okay. total, total calories, total sodium yeah. intake in a day, total water intake, yeah. you name it. Now, like I said, there are athletes that I work with that prefer macronutrients. And as long mm -hmm. as I can get them to a place where um, we get them into a spot that I, fully trust that they are adhering to the macronutrients yeah. and then when i do macros i don't lay out here's the amount the totals you're having for a day i personally think that's that's pretty lazy coaching um i go meal by meal so if i want you no to problem. have 250 grams of protein and you're having five meals well i'm going to have 50 grams of protein in each meal and then i'm going to time your carbs where i want your carbs i'm mm -hmm. going to time your fats where i want your fats so you'll have five different meals of macros and then time to time, I will be checking in to make sure, okay, here's your, and, and the reason that I give people macros is not so they can just eat all the foods they love. It's more so, okay, so one day you want ground turkey or one week yeah. you want ground turkey instead of ground beef in your meals. Well, perfect. You got to alter a couple things in your macros and you can make that happen, but right. you still should be eating whole foods and not processed garbage and making smart decisions. And that's right. where I get people to first, if they want to do a macro diet, but I will say, 10 out of 10 times, 10 out of 10 times, no matter what, I have seen a lot better progress with people following a meal plan than I have people following macros. Wow. Because again, you take the thinking out of it for somebody, yeah. they just have to execute, things are laughing. I think the problem with the macro diet is that it, it kind of opens the door for, if my carbs are off by 50 grams, well, then I can just eat jelly beans. Yeah, you know, exactly. like it, it, And it's not... That's probably not the right way to do it. <laughs> no, not at all. And yeah. like, sure, there is a time and a place to have some some insulin spiking foods yeah. and stuff. But when I do a meal plan, I put those in there anyways. I'm going to jam sure. honey and I'm going to jam Rice Krispie squares or whatever, where I want to jam them that they're actually going to benefit your physique. For yeah. you to wake up in the morning and feel like, oh, you know what? I need a couple of Rice Krispie squares. Yeah. That ain't going to benefit you. No, that's right. Yeah. So you, you put food in before workouts. Is that like, is that what you do? You do? Uh, yeah, I'm very big around peri-workout nutrition. So yeah. um, I like to time a large, a large hefty amount of my athletes carbs, which are utilized for training, yeah. obviously um, through glycogen and stuff around training for sure. Mm -hmm. um, a lot of times my athletes will have like over for sure over 55, more like 60%. Um, sometimes even higher, depending on the athlete and where their blood glucose sits and how their body handles carbs um, around the training window. So like pre-workout, intra-workout and, and post-workout for sure. Right. What happens? Like I train first thing in the morning. How do you, I, I can't get up early enough to eat enough. You know liquids, what I mean? Liquids, man. So I have athletes that do that too. I have uh, bodybuilders that wake up first thing and train first thing in the morning. Like actually one of my, I coach one, I coach most of the athletes that are coaches on our team, I coach as well. But for instance, um, Dylan, he's, he's that way. He trains first thing in the morning. So he wakes up in the morning and, uh, well, he actually does a little bit of a macro style diet. So he's not a good example, but for what I do anyways, um, I'll usually use a fruit because fructose is going to drive itself into and refill liver glycogen. Very okay. quick. Yeah. Um, usually I like to go with something like a banana because it's more, there's a lot more fructose and sugars than there is fibers versus something like berries. Mm -hmm. uh, so I'll drive that in fruit juice, orange juice, honey, protein, whey isolate or a hydrolyzed yeah. isolate. Right. So <clears throat> you eat that you're digested in 45 minutes, ready to rock. 
Sure. Yeah. Versus you have like cream of rice or, or right. a bagel or something or whatever, right? It's going to take an hour, hour and a half. Normally I say about 90 minutes, 90 to 120 minutes pre-workout for pre-training right. meal. Hmm. Um, so yeah, I mean, there's, it, it depends on the person, but if you have an hour and a half from the time you wake up, if you have an hour and a half to the time you get in the gym, that's enough food for me to make decisions with foods like cream of rice, et cetera, to get it in you, be mm -hmm. digested and ready to rock. I have some of my athletes, one of my um, men's physique athletes, Ali, he trains first thing in the morning when he's on um, day shifts because he's just so busy yeah. or sorry, night shifts because he's just so busy. So mm -hmm. when that happens, he has gummy bears that day with fruit <laughs> juice and, and whey isolate, right? Because it's, yeah. it's literally quick digesting and that's yeah. all I need. Drive yeah. those nutrients into him. He's got a lot of carbs and I will mm -hmm. use <clears throat> clustered dextrins as well. So I might do a blend of like a highly branched cyclic dextrin with orange juice for your carbs pre-workout with some whey yeah. isolate. And then while you're training, you're sipping on more highly branched cyclic dextrin with EAAs, which is basically a meal replacement while you're training. And then post-workout, we'll bring in whole foods. Right. Hmm. Sounds pretty great. Everything, oh. for, everything for me comes around uh, digestion in that sense too, yeah. right? What can you optimally digest to perform your highest? Because if you're in the gym and you're bloated and you feel like shit, well, yeah. chances are you're just not going to perform. And some people even need some like MCT oils and stuff first thing in the morning with that high bolus of carbs to prevent digestive issues. Some people get mm. digestive issues if you just drive in a large amount of carbs and sugars first thing in the morning. So putting in like coconut oils that are going to be absorbed pretty quick and, and MCT oils that are going to yeah. be used for energy will, will help that too. Do you, um, we haven't said the word creatine this whole time. Huge fan. Awesome. Does everyone use creatine? I don't have an athlete that doesn't. Yeah, of course. The only time I would have somebody who doesn't is if they had kidney problems. And I have had it in the past where I had yeah. an athlete not taking it because they did have kidney problems. They were more a lifestyle athlete anyways. So, I mean, yeah. at the end of the day, not a huge concern there, but uh, I have almost, every one of my athletes will take it. Yeah. I, I'm a huge believer in it. It's one of the most researched supplements yeah. ever made. It was one of the first supplements ever made. It's phenomenal. And people yeah. have this predisposition to believe that it's going to make them hold a bunch of water. It's like, well, it doesn't hold water between the skin and the muscle. It holds water within the muscle, which is going to make right. you perform better and make you actually look fuller and tighter if you're using it. Yeah, that's right. Do you, um, like when I did a podcast on creatine a little while ago, um, but do you, leading up to a show, do you pull people off creatine and put them back on? Do you have them like at the show? Are they on it or where? where I, do I've do done, people? I've done both. Um, I think it really, I don't think at that level, especially if you're talking performance enhanced individuals, like yeah. individuals that are enhanced, um, pulling five or 10 grams of creatine isn't going to drastically change the look that much. Yeah. Normally I, I do just, I make so many micro changes. Like I pull sweeteners, I pull any supplement that has sweetener in it, EAAs, all yeah. that kind of stuff in the final weeks. And, and normally I'll just pull creatine in that sense too and like they're just sipping water and salt when they train type thing um but it depends person to person to be completely honest if somebody is if somebody is dry and hard and full well yeah. why am i going to change that why am i going to pull it for the yeah. sake of training? if right. somebody does have some water to pull out right. and i just figure you know what it's a safe bet if we just try to pull this then i'll pull it for sure do i yeah. think it makes a drastic difference i don't so it's not something i think you have to pull at all um yeah. but i've done both so again here's this is for me, every decision that I make is is based on the individual in front yeah. of me at a given time. And I, I find it wild too. And just going back to our contest prep stuff, when coaches will send out a peak week diet for the week, it's like, yeah. here's, here's your diet for the week. It's like, pardon my French. What the fuck? You know yeah, what I mean? It doesn't like, work. How it doesn't are, make sense. The physique, what if you spill on day three? 
Yeah. Well, here's your day four and five, and all of a sudden you're just eating more and more. And it's like, yeah. for me, I literally make decisions during peak week on that day. My athletes are sending yeah. me check-ins three times a day, more actually. Normally I have my athletes send me pictures two hours after every meal, and I will tell them what to do. And like Alberta Open was an interesting one for me, because mm -hmm. like I said, I'm a data guy and I have my spreadsheets and I have everything. And like, I'm a nerd for that stuff, but I actually had forgot my laptop at home when I was on my way to Calgary and I realized oh, it man. <laughs> and I was a little bit worried, but I'm like, you know what? I trust myself enough that I'm going to go with my eye. Yeah. And I talked to my other coaches about this. We did an Instagram live the other day and they were just saying how cool it was because for me, I looked at Patrick and I was just like, okay, well, I know in my head what you've been eating up to this point. I don't know exact numbers, but I have everything in WhatsApp, but regardless, I'm able to look at you and look like, okay, you're a little bit flat. Well, I know that 90 grams of cream of rice is about 72 grams of carbs. So I'm going to drive in X amount of cream of rice, X amount of honey. I want you to have X yeah. amount of chicken. And I did everything that entire peak from Thursday when I was in Calgary till Sunday without a spreadsheet, without anything. And that was yeah. the first time I've done that. I've always had my computer and input things or I'll pre-plan mm -hmm. things and then make last minute decisions. But this was just firing from the hip. Yeah, and it may have been one of the best peaks I've had. So it was uh, wow. just, it was a, it was a cool thing for me to just remind myself to trust my eye. And it yeah. does, sometimes the spreadsheets don't matter. They do. And data is very important, but a lot of the times as a coach, you just have to trust your eye and what's in front of you. Yeah, I, I agree. Yeah. That makes total sense. It, like total sense. Yeah. Right? And I guess it would be super hard if you were an online coach that never did, you didn't see your athletes enough to really be able to tell that's flat you know like it would be yeah. hard to say that's flat that's spilt and it, yeah. you don't see them all the time for sure well and like uh, it go that goes even further and i've seen this and this is like dangerous into the drugs and pre-planning drugs right so like i've seen coaches write out 16 week cycles for their athletes from the get-go uh -huh. and like it's like dude how do you know they're how they're responding to any of these yeah drugs? yeah you're just going to tell them to spend all these. And like, I do give people a rough outline on, on what they need to get on hand. So there's not a lot of stress and stuff like that. But I put things in based on the physique I see in front of me. I'm not yeah. going to tell you that at eight weeks out, exactly. You are starting Winstrol or you are starting this drug or whatever. It's like, no, I'm going to put that drug in when the body tells me it's time to put it in because this is the response we need. Every decision has a response. Every, mm -hmm. every drug has a response everything has a purpose that you need to put it in for. So when yeah. I have that purpose and I need that purpose, I will use that tool to elicit that response. Yeah, that makes sense. What other supplements other than the obvious, like whey protein and creatine, like what other supplements, you know, the, the, the uh, Popeye's <laughs> supplements, store supplements, like what other supplements do you recommend that athletes are on? Um, so I have my baseline. I, I'm a firm believer that like everybody should be hammering vitamin D in, in way higher amounts than they believe. So like mm -hmm. I'm talking 10,000 I use a day, um, five to 10,000 I use a day, sometimes 20 for people. There's some mm -hmm. cool studies on that stuff with deficiencies and whatnot. Um, EAAs for sure. BCA, EAA, BCA is garbage. If somebody listening to this is using BCAs, throw them in the garbage, stop now, start using EAAs. They're going to have mm -hmm. BC, the, the three branched amino acids um leucine isoleucine and valine they're all going to be in your ea as well but you're also yeah. going to have another six essential amino acids that right. are called an essential amino acid because literally to turn on the muscle building process you need all nine essential amino acids so if you're mm -hmm. only yes leucine is the most important one absolutely yeah. but if you're only using 
three of nine, you're missing a lot there. And right. in my opinion, it's just garbage. So EAAs is a primary focus. Um, like you said, whey protein, creatine. Um, I'm, I'm not, there, there's not a crazy amount of stuff. Now, like I said, I, I have a lot on the health side, the health supplements that I will push in people. And, and that's a whole nother thing. I do think most people need omega support. So I really like krill oils or cod mm-hmm. liver oil. Um, krill oil i just like i really like it because of the the effects it has on like hdl and and ldl and stuff like that um and it's not really able to oxidize the same way like a regular fish oil was Mm -hmm. most fish oils people buy on shelves um are just garbage because they oxidize and they're not doing much for for Mm -hmm. you um especially if they're in like a clear bottle and just sitting on a shelf well i would be willing to guarantee a very large percent of them are oxidized same even with actually olive oils like olive oils are a huge one Mm -hmm. so buying quality stuff is important. And that's yeah. why I really like acryl oil over anything else. Yeah. Do you put, do do your athletes use a pre-workout at all? What are your, uh, so I, I control my athletes stimulant intake. So I, I believe caffeine has a very, very good, um, performance boosting effect, but mm-hmm. at the same time, anytime you inject caffeine, you, you take yourself from a parasympathetic state to a sympathetic state, right? Um, and to maximize recovery, you have to be in a sympathetic state or sorry, parasympathetic state. Mm-hmm. So, and when I say like parasympathetic or sympathetic, we're talking fight or flight yeah, or yeah. Rest, rest and digest. Right. And like right. fight or flight is your sympathetic state, which we get in that state when we train. But as soon as we're done training, we want to get out of that as fast as we can and get to your rest and digest so that we're mm-hmm. actually recovering, utilizing the nutrients properly, letting the body recover so anytime there's there's stress a lot of stress you come into a sympathetic state well stimulants caffeine etc are stressors and Mm -hmm. that takes you it increases your heart rate does all this stuff that takes you out of a parasympathetic state so for me i i basically control all my athletes um caffeine intake i like to see people have 150 milligrams roughly a day total 150 to 200 max Mm -hmm. usually i'll tell them like hey you can space this accordingly but if you're having two cups of coffee in the morning, you're not taking a 250 milligram pre-workout pre-training or vice versa. Like the best, the best place I see th- things being used is no caffeine all day and a little bit of caffeine pre-training. But again, yeah. if somebody trains late in the day and it's their last thing they do, yeah. stay away from that. I program stim free pre-workouts for my athletes because I'm a firm believer in what citrulline does. I'm a firm mm-hmm. believer in what glycerol does. Right or nitric oxide, um, benefiting supplements, right? So those things for me offer a lot more than anything else. You know what? I'll give you, you probably know this, but the, the one supplement and it's, if you, you know, when you take a lot of these, uh, training programs for personal trainers, it's in the, it's in every book and it's well studied is sodium bicarbonates, which is baking soda, which sounds so silly, really. But then when you realize that it, it's a buffering agent that reduces that burn, so the, yeah. you know, your free uh, hydrogen in the bloodstream, up. yeah, like it, it, it makes it so that you can do a couple more reps yeah. when you start to burn. It's a, it's a funny one because it's, it's hard to find um, any pre-workout that has baking soda essentially in it. Yeah. Well, it's kind of a funny one. Yeah. 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 Like you said, I mean, there, there's a million ways to skin a cat. There's a million different things. Yeah. That, that do a million different things like people think even creatine people think it's just like oh it's just for muscle building well no it actually has very very good cognitive benefits and, yeah. and brain benefits yeah. as well and like there's studies with like linked to depressions and stuff like that right yeah. there's a lot of different things that uh, it, it benefits overall but a lot of these small things can have like 
people always ask me, what is the number one supplement you would add hmm. to your intra workout or pre workout for a pump? You know what I tell them? Water. Salt. Salt. Yeah, of course. So yeah. you need water too. Yeah. Oh, well, yeah. <laughs> that's not a supplement, but 100%. Like you're not getting a pump. And that's why, like, water. this whole yeah. dry scooping craze that people do, it's like <laughs> half those nutrients that you're putting in your mouth with a dry scoop. Yeah. need to be well absorbed in water yeah. and actually transported via water to be utilized and if you're liking a lot of these people too they're working full days right they're not getting that much water in yeah. straight to the gym bang a pre-workout scoop take a sip of water <laughs> it's like one sip of water over the past eight hours ain't enough to get a pump no no that's just silly so yeah so yeah. but i mean there's there's tons i could yeah. yeah for me i think that the most important stuff from a supplement basis that i focus on outside of those kind of basic ones, because at the end of the day, food is going to cover a lot of your bases, right? Sure. If you design a proper meal plan, um, outside of, like you said, stim based pre-workouts, I do really like, um, I have some of my favorite ones that are just dosed incredibly well Yeah. Um, with the glycerol citrulline. Like those are two things that I yeah. citrulline for sure. If somebody doesn't, isn't taking any sort of pre-workout, I absolutely will have them dosing citrulline, right. um, intra-workout or pre-workout with um, yeah. the, the EA and stuff like that. Yeah. So outside of those supplements, I just mostly really, really am, am big on health support supplements. And that goes even further when we're talking PD enhancements. Like I will, I used to actually make my athletes and this sounds really odd and it sounds like I'm a control freak, but this is how, as far as I was going at a point to make sure my athletes were healthy. I would not write somebody a steroid cycle unless they sent me a receipt of the health supplements that I wanted them to get. Oh, nice. Yeah, that's good. I, I moved away from it because again, it's, it's very micromanagey. And at some point you just have to trust your people. Um, yeah. And it, at the end of the day, I analyze blood work multiple times a year for every one of my athletes. And if you're not doing what I want you to with health supplements, I'm going to see it on your blood work. And right. well, sorry, you can't go on cycle until this is, is fixed and maintained for a long period of time. So yeah. if you're not asking, doing what I ask you to do, and you're not taking care of your health, yeah. well, I'm going to find out. And that's going to prevent you from continuing to do this because I'm not going to write you another cycle. Yeah. I mean, so, I, I, there is a funny story. I have <laughs> having you do a supplements is uh, there was one prep that I was in and, and I just was, you know, I was dying from hunger and I just, was really suffering. And so I went, I was with my daughter and I said, I need to get something. I need to get something. I just need something in my mouth. And so we went and we bought, we went to Walmart and we bought um, one of those big bottles of uh, vitamin C chewables. Yeah. yeah. And I just started fisting them. And I, I think oh. I ate, I think I ate over a hundred in like the oh drive home. And <laughs> like I did the math later and it was something like, I forget what the, the, the amount was, but it was like this ridiculous, ridiculous amount. And it just, I can tell you now what overdosing vitamin C does, but oh, it yeah. caused the most ridiculous cramping, yeah. stomach cramping I've ever had ever. I thought it was going to die. And then it probably went got the straight run, got the runs too. And then it wasn't just the runs. That was, that's an understatement of what happened yeah. next. <laughs> yeah, well, I, it was so really bad. Vitamin really. C is actually something you can use in high doses for people that are having um, constipation issues and like combination with magnesium yeah. and stuff like that. It is yeah, it was nasty. That yeah. I lean on, but fun fact, actually, vitamin C is also a very, very good in high dose natural diuretic to use for natural, mm. natural bodybuilders. So that's actually something right. I will do with my natural bodybuilders too flush yeah. some water out when i'm trying to dry them out a little bit yeah not a hundred tablets but no well and definitely not a chewable <laughs> if you think about all the gelatin that's in there <laughs> yeah you know it I mean? wasn't yeah it was a bad bad not good yeah. don't recommend it 
Yeah, no, don't do no. that. Don't do that. No. So, well, listen, hey, you probably have some uh, athletes to deal with. So I should probably let you get into your day. Yeah, I'm good. I'm good. If you want, if you want to keep rolling, we can keep rolling. Yeah. If you want to shut her down there, we're good. I'm, I'm easy, yeah. my man. Well, what else, what, um, so this, this part might get clipped out, but what else, what should we cover next? I feel like we, did we miss stuff? Do we need to, um, maybe dive into the actual like PD application a tiny bit in terms okay. of like safer use model and stuff like that. And, and kind of go back to the conversation of what I have seen with some coaches doing and stuff like that. And I, I'm not here to blast any, yep. coach, but I think the okay. awareness, because if there are athletes that listen to this. Yeah. that are maybe thinking about hiring a coach and they have a conversation about PDs and it's like, yeah, here's what you're going to do. At least they might get a red flag and be like, maybe I should. Okay. Well, yeah, let's do that. We'll yeah. just uh, cut back in right here. So, okay. Well, let's, let's look back to now we're talking supplements, but let's jump back into the, the enhanced athletes and, and their experience. And, and I think, as we mentioned earlier, there's been this real push towards, certainly being more opaque and more transparent in the industry. And, and hopefully that leads to a kind of a safer use model, you know, for, for people, but what's, what's your experience. And, you know, like when people are getting a coach having to deal with their enhanced experience, what, what's your experience with it now? Yeah. So over the years, like I said, I mean, obviously I've been doing this for quite a while now and I can't sit here and say that I've made every best decision in the world since I started, I, I started being kind of self-taught. And mm -hmm. I taught myself about drugs, but I knew a little bit less about the health side. And then as I've gotten more and more experience and I've worked with some top individuals in the industry, I've hired mentors. I have a mentor who I work with still to this day, and he's one of the best in the industry in terms of health stuff. Um, and I've learned way more. I realized that like, there's a way better way to do this. Um, and people, the, the word you use, safer use model is what I practice and what I preach. Mm -hmm. um, for instance, like first exposures, like we talked about before, there was um, a friend of mine who had an athlete on a first exposure that ended up leaving him and going to another coach. And all of a sudden he's on 1.5 grams a year almost, right? Yeah. Like, that's astronomical, especially for a young individual to be doing. So for me, it's about minimizing risk over the long term and like listening to the body and, and very slow escalations and titrations and things, right? Like you read an internet forum, it's going to tell you, well, you should start your first cycle at 500 milligrams of testosterone what excuse yeah. me like might as well I, hit it hard if you're gonna hit it you gotta go hard 100 <laughs> percent. and like I, I don't i'm not opposed to even mentioning what i do in terms of dosages yeah. and stuff when i start people because it is safe you know yeah. what i mean and like i said to you i'm always going to use a i'm or like this is how i plan things i'm always going to use a bioidentical hormone right so for instance if a male is hopping on a male is hopping on steroids for the first time and going to do his first exposure well I'm definitely always going to use a testosterone first because it's a bioidentical hormone. The body understands how to utilize testosterone. Yeah. And yeah, issues can come from that for sure. Aromatization, gynecomastia and whatnot. And that's where another problem arises is people start to get some of these symptoms and coaches and athletes start hammering drugs. They, they start just take, keep pushing your dose, keep your dose yeah. really high, keep running your 500, 700, a gram of this but let's just put a bandaid on it by taking this drug. Well, what they fail to realize is estrogen is also extremely important for heart, brain health, for mm -hmm. fat loss, for muscle building. When you start taking a drug that just crushes that estrogen, not only is it going to also limit your progress, it's going to be harmful to your health. Now we could go into the, the flip side where these, these aromatase inhibitors like letrozole, 
aromasin, arimidex, those things are also going to have very, very, very um, harsh realities when it comes to the effects on lipids and, and HDL mm -hmm. cholesterol, LDL cholesterols, right? So when you're just putting a drug in to counteract the negative effects of another drug, and it's one thing on top of the other and one thing on yeah. top of the other, all of a sudden you end a cycle and there's like grams of shit and like, it's a really, really bad place to be. So for me, like I said, I expose people to one thing at a time, very slowly. And I'll take, I'll introduce somebody to testosterone and we'll, we'll see how things go. We'll start at a dosage at a TRT level or a, a replacement therapy level. Mm -hmm. And then we'll titrate that level up a bit, a little bit and see what happens. Okay, yeah. great. We're getting some really good results here. We stay there for four, six, seven weeks, however long the body continues to progress for. Okay, now it might be time to titrate things up a little bit more. Now we give them a little bit more. Okay, here's the response. Okay, well, a little bit more over time. Awesome. We're at a really good spot now. We're at about 400 milligrams a week, maybe, of, of this drug. And all of a sudden, there's some issues happening. There's some, some potential sensitive nipples. There's a little bit of gyno. Okay, whoa, whoa, whoa. We're not going to just start hammering these drugs we talked about. Right. Instead, we're going to pull back and we're going to introduce... Right a new drug that'll take you back to your 400 milligram dosage, but a drug that's not going to aromatize the same. So maybe a DHT, like a primabolin, a masteron, those right. kinds of things, right? So it's very cyclical and, and um, thought out in the way we're mm -hmm. doing things, not just taking a drug to replace this. So cycle design does matter. And it's very, yeah. very important, right? And if you actually look at a spreadsheet and you look at somebody that, for instance, takes 12 weeks of this cycle of, 500 milligrams of this drug, 300 milligrams of that drug, 400 milligrams of that drug. So right there, you're at 1200 milligrams, 1 1.2 grams. So you multiply 1.2 by 12 weeks while you're looking at, what is that? 14 point something, whatever that looks like, 14 grams across 12 weeks, mm -hmm. right? Well, if I'm titrating people's dosages very slowly, starting at like 150 or 200 milligrams up to a peak dose, that total milligram dosage that you were able to get to over 12 weeks and have to stop your cycle because either some health stuff happened or that was just your 12 week cycle. I can take people and have their exposures way longer and have them progressing for right. five or six months. Yeah. And I still don't even touch that total milligram dosage that you ended up getting to in 12 weeks. Right. And huh. we didn't see nearly the amount of side effects because every time we put something in the body told us what was happening. And we made an right. adjustment based on things. Okay, your body doesn't handle that drug well. Let's pull it out. Let's put this, let's do this one, right? So it's, again, it all comes back to listening to the body. Yeah. And over time, like people don't need to be exposed to a gram of gear in their first run of, of steroids. Yeah. You don't need that. If you, quite frankly, I'm a firm believer, if you can't make good results on low amounts of, of gear or, or PEDs in your first exposures of usage, you have no, you have no business ever using them. Yeah. And that's the reality of it, right? Like there mm -hmm. are non-responders to yeah. steroids, just like there's non-responders to a lot of things. And, and some people progress at genetically different rates. Yeah. And I think I mean, that if you're somebody who's just hammering a lot of drugs, because the only way you can progress is a lot of drugs. For me, you ain't the person to work with me because that's yeah. just never going to be the case. Yeah. I think part of the challenge is everything we're in this world of you know the quick fix download the program and yeah. follow that and it's just yeah. like i can download my diet i can download my workout and i can yeah. download a cycle and i'm just going to do that and you know yeah. who knows who wrote that 
100 percent, and I, I agree with that i think one of the biggest problems here is the availability of information it's been great it's been great for many things like we're doing a podcast right now where i'm able to express my peace of mind and what i believe is optimal now i'm not saying it's going to be everybody's cup of tea but i'll tell you right now it's it, that approach is the smart approach to steroid mm -hmm. use and i cannot i will never i would argue somebody till the death on that you will never mm -hmm. talk me away from that yeah um but when it comes to information availability, again, like you said, you can Google first steroid cycle, what should I do? Yeah. And I would argue almost every single thing you read will be wrong. Yeah. And I, well, I, mean, yeah. I know it. I've seen that stuff. And like, I don't even look at that stuff. And I tell my athletes, do not start Googling things. Yeah. I want you to do, re I want you to do research on a drug. Yeah. And if you want real research, I have hundreds of studies saved of, of, this and that, or even just come to me and ask questions. Sure. Because if you ask me questions, I'll tell you what this does yeah. and what you need to look out for and what it can do. But if you just start Googling things, well, you're going to come back to me with so much information and you're going to think that you need to take 10 times the amount. And that's yeah. a problem when somebody's just so eager to make progress and Google is telling them they need to start their dosage at 500 milligrams. Mm -hmm. But they're on 200 and they think they need to be making this astronomical process. The number one thing people need to realize in this sport is your best friend is time. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Everything takes time. Building yeah. muscle enhanced takes time. Building muscle natural takes more time. Burning yeah. fat takes time. None of this stuff happens overnight. And that's where people are, like you said, they want it now. They're, it's like nobody's willing to actually invest over the long term. This isn't a marathon or this isn't a sprint. This is a marathon and you need to be willing to invest the time to get from A to Z yeah. and not think you're going from A to Z in your first season of competing. Because I don't know one person that went from an amateur that had never really trained to a pro doing well at the pro level in a year's time. That, yeah. that stuff takes a lot of time. Well, when you, you know, and it's funny when you think back to like when I was a kid, the only information was you know, muscle and fitness magazines. And, yeah. and, you know, like our goal was to be Ronnie Coleman or Jay Cutler or Arnold Schwarzenegger. And, and so the, you know, where we sit mentally is going to obviously be whatever he's doing. And that's the way the magazines presented it. Yeah. As long as you do what Arnold's doing, you're going to be like Arnold. Yeah. And so, you know, it's, isn't it kind of natural that we say, look, I'm going to do his workout. I'm going to eat 15,000 calories a day. And I'm going to follow the exact same cycle that he was on. Yeah. And I'm going to do everything he does. And I'm going to look just like him. Yeah. yeah it's, well, I don't know. I think we built that into the marketplace. Long sure. time and ago. don't get me wrong. Like I'm also very grateful for social media and everything it's done. Yeah. Like, I wouldn't have the business I do and the impact I'm able to have, which is, is still not where I want it to be, but obviously it's growing. And, and that's exciting to me because I am able to get, myself and, and my thoughts out there more which i believe can help people yeah. so i'm very grateful for that but yeah. there's the caveat right there's also the flip side of there's a lot of people not putting out good information mm -hmm. and that's where people need to just vouch for themselves and, and really dive in and, and think about things it's funny because i had a conversation with um i'm not sure if you know who matt the manager is he was like mm -hmm. phil Heath's manager and jay cutler oh manager. okay yeah 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 yeah. He, he was with Jay for like 20 some years and they, they were training partners back in the day and stuff. Mm -hmm. And we were talking about just that. And he's like, man, it's crazy. I walk into a gym and I see some of these pro bodybuilders, yeah, like barely training with any weight and just like stretching and squeezing the muscle. And it's like, yeah, there was a point in Jay's career where 
he trained a, a little lighter and, and like less intense because he had the tissue and he needed to manage injury and stuff like that. But you get to a point and it's like, at some point you just need to train heavy and hard. And a lot of people miss the, the, the forest for the trees. You know what I mean? Yep. Oh it's yeah, like, absolutely. People go in there and it, it, again, this doesn't really relate directly to drugs, but it does, but they think they can just take a lot of drugs and train the way they've been training. And all of a sudden they're going to be Jay Cutler. And it's like, well, what you don't realize is Jay Cutler had the best genetics available. Yeah. He trained like an animal and did train hard and heavy, especially when he was young and early on in his career. And yeah, he did use drugs, but he didn't use drugs to get all of those other things where he got to, there was a lot of basic foundation first that then the drugs helped him get to where he was. Yeah. And uh, it's that mindset of, okay, drugs are, drugs are going to make me a bodybuilder. And I hate seeing it on social media when you see a very good bodybuilder and somebody just comments steroids. And it's like, well, you don't realize that there was a lot more to that than just some steroids. Because I know a lot of people that also take steroids that don't look anything like that. Yeah, no. Yeah, and that's actually I have several pictures of those people in my phone because it's, uh, you know, it's, it's a bit of a wake up call to people, I think, too. Oh, 100%. Yeah, I I think it's, uh, you know, I guess I've always struggled with when someone who's purely natural, when, you know, when they say, oh, you know, if I'm going to bodybuild, do I have to take steroids? And I guess I've always thought, well, you don't have to. No, you can do what you're going to do. You're going to get to a certain level. And that's, and you kind of have to call it a day when you get there, I guess. Yeah, well, and that's, that's the conversation I have with people, right? It's the, you got to be a realist. And mm-hmm. I say to people, okay, what is your goal? Because yeah. if your goal is to be on an Olympia stage and actually be yeah. a competitive pro bodybuilder, yeah. totally. Well, I'm going to tell you to your face with 100% truth and certainty, yeah. you are going to need to use performance enhancing drugs. Sure. Yeah. But if you tell me that your, your goal is just to be a good bodybuilder, but you would prefer to be natural. Well, in the natural side of things, you can be damn good. But there yeah. comes a point, and, and like yourself, you you just missed out on a natural pro card. Yeah, I don't think you're naive enough to know that you would be you would think you're stepping on a Mr. Olympia men's physique stage no. <laughs> as a natural athlete. You know what I mean? Like no, you I mean, understand yeah. that you want it. Your goal yeah. is that natural pro card, yeah. and then you can go to some natural pro shows maybe. Yeah. But you're not going to try to step up there with the guys who are enhanced because at the end of the day, I don't care how good you look. Yeah, you're going to get smoked. Yeah. And yeah. And you know, the other, like, not that I don't want this to sound like a cop out, but you know, everyone always, you get all these Instagram people, they say, Oh, well, I'm, you know, I'm uh, you can do anything you want, anything in this yeah. world, you can be anything you want. And it's like, you know what, the clock's ticking for some yeah. of us. Like yeah. we're not all going to be, you know, like I'm, you know, even if I said, Hey, listen, I'm going to, I'm going to go and compete against Jay Cutler, you know, whoever's on stage today yeah. or plowman. I, I, I don't have time for that. Like I, yeah. I'm just, you know, at my age, I'm not going to, I'm not going to put on 20 or 30 pounds of pure muscle. Like, no, it's, and it's like that and again, you, have, you have to be a realist too, right? Like when yeah. someone says you can be anything you want, I believe that we are our makers, yeah. but there is a limit. Like if you come to me and say, you're going to stay natural, but you're going to be a Mr. Olympia, I am oh. going to laugh at you. And I'm going to say, okay, well, you can be anything you want, but that, because that's yeah. not, because <laughs> yeah. that's, that's not true. You could never be that you it's genetically and in, in, it's an inhumane oh, yeah. to become 260 pounds of pure muscle mass with that shape, that structure and that lean. It's actually impossible. I'm sorry. You couldn't yeah. do it. 
don't care. There's not a person in the world who could do that. Yeah, no. I get a plug in half sec. Yeah, we'll go. My, I didn't, sorry. No, you're absolutely right. Like, I guess, you know, I, I've always wondered too, and there's been this uh, kind of conversation online. I don't know, you probably hear uh, Eric Helms and yeah, all yeah. these guys talking about. EMJ. Yeah, and, and when they talk about the uh, fat-free mass index and how, you know, there has been, there's quite a few studies actually that show that, you know, past about 25, and there's going to be genetic anomalies, but past the 25 uh, of that number of that indice, you know, that you're really, it's questionable if the, if the human body can do that without enhancements at all. Yeah, yeah, so I agree. Yeah, so it, it's interesting because I'm up in that zone. I'm getting like, I'm like right on it at this point any, you know, and I just, I feel like, you know, now what? <laughs> like, now well, how do like I get... Especially, I in our, especially in our day and age, right? Because you can talk about studies. And another thing is like, yeah. it's literally proven now that like men at 40 plus years of age, the level of testosterone they have in comparison to 50 years ago is mm -hmm. drastically different. And that's oh, why yeah. like, yeah, I say to a lot of people, and this is something that I stand firmly behind too. A lot of people are like, well, like, is it really the worst thing in the world that I have to cruise for the rest of my life? And I'm like, that's a decision for you to make. Yeah. I've made my peace because I already know that more than likely based on our environment and the generation I grew up in by yeah. 40 years of age, I probably would need TRT anyways. Yeah. And my father, I have put my father on TRT. I had him get his testosterone checked and he's not an unhealthy man. Yeah. His stuff got checked and it was very low. Right. Yeah. And like, what do you think causes that? Like what's the environmental shift that caused oh, that? A, like there's, best a, guess. there's a million things, right? Yeah. Like it's, it's pollution, it's uh, yeah. pesticides and, and products in our foods that we're, we're eating. Um, mm -hmm. It's a lot more processed foods. Like think about it, right? Back in the day, you go back 50, 100 years ago. Well, there was not any of these products on a shelf that are on the yeah. shelf now. It was vegetables, meats, grains, that kind of stuff. Yeah. And now the, the whole world has just shifted and like it's there's so many different things, stress levels. Right. Mm -hmm. Like different jobs and, and people in, in different industries with higher stress levels working the, this whole thing. Like people have this predisposition to thinking like, all work, no sleep, go hard, go hard, go hard. And it's like, well, I mean, go ahead, but you're going to be a lot more effective if you, if you actually prioritize your sleep. I promise you yeah. that. And I'm somebody myself who works very long hours, but sleep is very important. So you yeah. always are going to have six to eight hours to get asleep in. I don't care who you are. Yeah. yeah. The most productive people in the world are still sleeping. Yeah. I thought it was funny that Arnold had that kind of famous saying of, you know, you, you have to sleep faster, you know, yeah. and it's like, and he was, he came from a generation where uh, the, the thinking at that point was, you burn more calories while you're awake. So if yes. you can stay awake longer, then you can burn more calories. But yeah. I think we've since shown that maybe you just don't eat the last hundred calories and in the same spot, well, get a better studies, sleep. Studies will show you the less you sleep, the more you are to hold on to body fat, yeah. right? Because you're, you're literally, that's why, okay, well, people may pay attention to this after I say it, but a night after you have a very, very shitty sleep, you'll probably have more cravings for other foods. Mm. And your decision-making is poor. So you may make the decision to grab that other food. Your hunger signaling is off. So there's a yeah. bunch of different things that contribute to that. And then at the end of the day, your cortisol is elevated. Your cortisol patterning is off. If yeah. your cortisol patterning is off, your body is not in a position to 
handle foods the same way. If your blood glucose is naturally higher from the stress levels in your, in your body, you're not going to handle your nutrients the same way. So you're literally set up for less optimal results. Yeah. Yeah. Does, does sleep affect leptin levels? Oh yeah. Ghrelin, okay. ghrelin, leptin and stuff like, yeah. and it's more over like prolonged periods, right? Oh, okay. That's the overall trends. Yeah. Uh, I mean, at the end of the day, any type of massive stressor will, will have an effect on most of your hormones. Right. right? So yeah. hunger signaling, but hunger signaling is an interesting one because again, it can be changed and, and adapted and adjusted simply by frequency of meals, even and stuff like yeah, that. Right. I, I yeah. see it all the time when I start working with a new athlete who maybe had things fairly poorly optimized, or they were somebody who may have been doing some sort of like intermittent fasting. And it's like, well, no, I'm going to be feeding you five times a day. And I mean, you're not going to be hungry for the first while. And they're like, right. well, I'm never going to be hungry. This is just how I perform best. <laughs> or people that just yeah. don't have breakfast until noon because they think they're so busy in the morning. All they have time for is a coffee and five right. coffees. Yeah. And it's like, well, no, I'm going to force you to eat breakfast for the next right. two months. And eventually your body will tell you it's time to eat breakfast and you'll have that signaling. Yeah. Is that, um, is the other part of that is, you know, of the constant meal, is that part of uh, managing insulin as well? Is that absolutely. part of it? Absolutely. And I mean, not necessarily as much managing insulin. I think it's more so maximizing muscle protein synthesis. Okay. Because um, you can only, you can, you can spike muscle protein synthesis every like three to four hours, right? Um, yeah. And it can only be maximized so much, like eating a hundred grams of protein in one sitting your people have this thing where they say you're not going to absorb some of that protein. Um, you will absorb that protein. Yeah. But I mean, if you had a, a, a one feeding of hundred grams of protein a day, well, you've only maximized your muscle protein synthesis once per day Yeah. versus if you have that split into multiple servings and a hundred isn't a good, it's not a good number to use because I don't, I don't believe 20 grams of protein is enough to maximize muscle protein synthesis. Yeah. I think it's more along the lines of like 30 and X amount of leucine or whatever. Yeah. Um, but with that being said, the more frequent feedings, the more you can maximize muscle protein synthesis. And again, I think people split hairs here too much. Like, do you need six meals? No. Do you need two meals? Well, that's not going to be enough. I think that four to six range, if you're having four to six, I like five because I am a guy that does the pre and post-workout mm -hmm. nutrition, right? With higher absorbing, yeah. higher digestion foods. Mm -hmm. So if you're having only four meals a day, well, if you're eating two within a three hour window of pre and post workout, yeah. you have a long period of time to only have two other meals through the day. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So that makes there's always ways to, there's always ways to play around with it. And again, it, for me, it comes back to digestion. Um, I, people also say you need one gram of protein per pound of body weight. I drive that a lot higher for most people, as long as their digestion can handle it. Right. I would say at the very least, probably one gram for, for building muscle. I know there's studies will show other, but I think there's a lot of value in anecdote too. And yeah. I've seen anecdote proofs and value elsewhere. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, I think it's realistically, I'm a huge believer in high protein and, and you should be maximizing how much protein you're eating as long as it's not disturbing digestion. Yeah. I remember hearing uh, Jay Cutler say that he used to, He'd get up at three o'clock in the morning to pee and he'd have a protein shake yeah. in his bathroom and yeah. he'd drink that at three o'clock in the morning. Oh, man. When I was, when I was my, uh, when I yeah. was my biggest, I would set an alarm and I would have a, a full blown, same thing, a meal, but it was a shake. It would oatmeal, yeah. oatmeal, almond butter and whey isolate right beside my bed. I would literally have an alarm go off at like three in the morning. 
mm. I bang my shake and I nice. that. Again, crazy. is it is it optimal? No, but I was I've always been the type of guy myself who eating is a struggle for me. When I was because I was eating upwards of five thousand calories towards six thousand calories, right? And like that's really really hard for me to do. So even my coach yeah. at the time had to put like like I don't recommend people do this unless you are this type of person. Like all of my meals, I was having NutriGrain bars with. Mm -hmm. to get extra calories in yeah. and they tasted great so it was it was satiable right yeah. on, the, on the flip side every one of my meals outside of like that work pre-workout profile window was like pasta because i just needed large amounts of carbs like when somebody signs up with me and they're eating 2,000 calories the last thing i'm giving them is pasta all day every day yeah yeah you know what yeah, I, mean? I so it really comes down to the person and for me it was just and if i missed a meal at that point i'd wake up four pounds lighter Oh, wow. I had no more room to put extra calories in my meals because I felt like I was going to yeah. puke after my meals already. So the only place right. to get those calories in was literally, okay, well, you're going to have a meal before you go to bed and then you're going to wake up and you're going to have a shake. Right. Yeah. Can you imagine doing intermittent fasting and, you know, limiting yourself to two meals and then trying to ram 2,500 calories in per meal? I've done it. <laughs> I've done it. Actually, I, work. I did it. I've done intermittent fasting a few times. I did it when I was very uneducated. And yeah. I just thought it was about, it was going to get me shredded. Yeah. Um, and then yeah. I've done keto. I've done every diet you can think of. That's yeah. why I, and I've done a lot of research on them. I actually did intermittent fasting for a small period last year because I was just so busy and I wasn't necessarily trying to grow at that point. Um, and yeah, it was really tough. My stomach shrunk drastically too. So reversing out of that mm. to try to get more calories in. And that's why I got out of it. I got to a point where I'm like, okay, I need to ramp things up a little bit. I, I want to start growing a little bit more. Yeah. I want to put more calories in and in a small window like that, in an eight hour window or a six hour window, yeah. it's almost impossible. Yeah. Right? It like, tough. Yeah. It was very tough. And I was basically, cause it, the other thing is, well, if you're intermittent fasting and you're training, I'm definitely not ever training fast. I'll tell you that much. Right. And I'm also definitely not ever training and then not having a meal afterwards. Yeah. You have to time it so that you eat and then you train in between your meals. So if you train for two hours, you've just lost two hours of your eating window right there. Right. Yeah. So that eating window becomes even smaller. It's definitely far from optimal, I would say, in terms of phys physique development. Yeah. Um, there's health. There's health benefits for sure, um, especially if you're talking like gut health. But again, it, uh, intermittent fasting, people think it's just this amazing thing that just it's so anti-inflammatory and it's very in, not stressful on the body. Actually, it's a stressor on your body. Fasting yeah. is a stress. Oh, yeah. Fasting is stress on the body for sure. Yeah, I've seen a fair number of studies that's that say if you equate for calories, that intermittent fasting doesn't really improve it your. Doesn't, it doesn't. Yeah, at all. It, it doesn't. It doesn't. And that's that's why I, what I was meaning when I said I was very uneducated when I first yeah. started this journey, thinking that it helps you get lean. It doesn't. Yeah. Normally, the reason people lose weight on an intermittent intermittent fasting style diet is because they are actually consuming less. Right. Per day yeah, totally. Because the time limit is restricted when people are normally eating junk all day and they, they equate that to 3000 calories and then they're like okay i'm going to eat healthy and i'm going to intermittent fast <laughs> well if you're eating healthy and you're intermittent fasting i promise you most average day people are not getting 3000 calories in in a six eight hour window it's not happening yeah. no so I, all of a sudden I, you went from a 3000 calorie day to a 2000 and you're exercising magic yeah you lost 20 pounds in six yeah. weeks awesome yeah, I've had numerous people come up to me in the gym. It's, it always happens as you're cutting, of course, because then you're more noticeable and people come up and they're like, oh my goodness, how do I, how do I lose weight? I got to get rid of this. And they always put their hand on their, their yeah. distended abdomen. And I always say, well, like, 
you need to stop eating so much. Yeah. And then, oh no, that's not healthy. Oh, and yeah, then suddenly, awesome. you know, and then suddenly they're, I'd say like, skip a, skip a meal or something, do something like, yeah. and everyone's like, that's not healthy. And then suddenly science calls it intermittent fasting. And I'm like, yeah. Eh. <laughs> well, and it's, it's funny too, right? Like at the end of the day, I tell people this all the time, you can want it or yeah. you can want it. Right. Yeah. And like, people ask me, how can I lose weight? Well, what does your diet look like? Oh, I eat this amount of pasta every night for dinner. I go to Subway for lunch. I go to here and there. And it's like, okay, perfect. Awesome. Let's cut out the pasta for dinner and let's have a steak and salad. Oh no, I need my pasta. I love pasta too much. Oh, interesting. Yeah. You're not going to lose weight then. No. Oh, you can't cut out your full sugar pops. Oh, okay. You're probably not going to lose weight then. So <laughs> you're asking me a question you wanted an answer to, and I've given you an answer, but you think there's an easier shortcut to getting that because you can't change your lifestyle. And that's what it comes down to with a lot of things. When I deal with, when I deal with females that are going through hormonal issues or people that just have messed up cortisol patterning or people that are trying to lose weight, whatever it is, 90% of the time, the answer isn't supplements. The answer isn't this X, Y, Z. The answer is you need to make a lifestyle change. Yeah. That lifestyle change might be minimizing your stressors. That lifestyle change might be leaving a toxic relationship or a job because that cortisol and that stress is literally putting you in a position you can't get where you need to in your life. Right. And there's just so many of these things that overlap and people always reach for the supplement like, oh, I'm going to take some ashwagandha because I'm stressed out but you're going to keep going back to the same place every day. That's stressing you the hell out. Well, yeah. sorry, that supplement ain't going to work. You need to work on you. You need to do some meditation. You need to do some belly breathing. You need to fix your stress first and then we'll rely on the supplements to add on top of that. It's called a supplement for a reason. Yeah. The supplement not to fix everything and anything. Yeah. Now, of course in our, you know, we're going to fix everything this month or this week. Yeah. Like the world we're in, it's tough. And you know, you talk to people and they, They've spent 20 or 30 or 40 years getting fat. Yeah. And then they want to fix that in a month. And it's just, yeah. wow, it's a, it, you know, you, you could probably, you could probably just reverse the cycle and then, you know, 20 years from now, you'll be to where you want to be. But yeah, for there's. Sure. Well, and it's, it's know. really easy. Like from where I sit, there's a reason why, like for me, for me, when people try to sign up with me for coaching, you can't just go to my website and pay for coaching with to, to be a team Miller elite athlete. You can't do that. There's a lot of teams that do have that where you just go to the website. Here's the prices. Here's a checkout link. That person gets an email when you paid, then they talk to you and, and you go about your way. For me, I don't have that because I like having conversations like you and I are right now face yeah. with people on, on zoom or Google meets or something to learn who the person is, because yeah. I can tell with people pretty quickly, whether they are looking for just a quick fix and aren't willing to change their life to get the results or if they're just actually willing to make a change to get where they want to be. And yeah. as far as I'm concerned, I don't want to work with people that just want a shortcut because those are the people that end up abusing drugs or X, yeah. Y, and Z to get where they want to be. And like, at the end of the day, you can't remove hard work from the equation. There is some sort of sacrifice and effort always going to be needed to get yeah. to what you, you want, right? Like there's, there's always a reaction to an action and there's always a sacrifice for a benefit. Yeah. There's this, the whole, like, that brings up the sustainability of, Yes. You know, what you're doing and you know like if if everything's just a flat out you know a sprint versus the marathon as you said well then you can't sprint forever no 100 <laughs> something's going to happen at the end yeah that's exactly it yeah. exactly it yeah i've been there i've been there a little bit too i had to my first show i dropped a lot of weight because and um but then it became sustainable 
you know, yep. it was good. Okay. It's something worked. Yep. Yeah. So like, well, I think, you, I, you I think I results. came down 40. You see the, resu- you see the results. Yeah. You get proud of what you've accomplished. Yeah. And then it's like, you almost get addicted to that. And it's like, wow, this is awesome. I really like what I'm seeing right now. I'm proud of this. Whereas some people, they don't have that, right? It's like, okay, yeah. I did it. And then they're, they're also just okay with going back to their status quo. And like, that's mm-hmm. why for me and my, my brand and my team, like our saying behind us is mediocrity is a curse. Mm-hmm. Because as far as I'm concerned, it is. If you're okay with yeah. being mediocre your whole life, well, I don't want to work with you because I don't want people who are just trying to blend in and be mediocre. Yeah. I want to work with people that want to create change and be change and be elite. And yeah. that's cool. I respect that a lot. Yeah. There's a book. I can't remember the author. Good to great. Yeah. And basically. Yeah. It says exactly that, that good gets in the way of great. Yeah. hundred percent. Yeah, absolutely. A lot of people land there. So it's tough. Yeah. What would you like someone new and like, I don't know, I hate, I hate to call it the industry. Uh, we got to find a different word for it, yeah. but you know, whatever it is that we do, someone's new to it and they're excited about it. What's, what's the advice you give someone who's, you know, they're probably not in terrible shape and they want to do something. They want to get into this. And what's the advice you lay on those people? Um, get a coach for one. Yeah and somebody to guide you and, and do your research on that coach, ask questions, sit down with them face to face before you even sit down with them, do your own research, have a couple people interview a few people, find out who you're going to mesh with the best and be realistic with your goals. Um, I think that's a big one. And I think setting goals is extremely important, but again, being realistic, right? If you have 150 pounds to lose, your goal shouldn't be to step on stage in six months, <laughs> right? Like, and that's just the, the fact of the matter. So I think you have to be realistic with that. Um, and honestly, this one, this one is just, it, it sounds so basic. Be willing to work hard mm-hmm. because if you're not willing to work hard, sh- sh- good shit's just not going to happen. You have to be willing to work for the things that are going to come to you and mm-hmm. anything worth, worth having is not going to be easy to get. And anything that's easy to get is not going to be worth having, right? Yeah. So that's that's something that I believe I stand truly behind. Um, and I tell it to all my athletes. And, and I tell it when I'm watching training videos and I feel like people are leaving reps on the table or they're selling themselves short. And it's like, listen, there is somebody out there that you are going to be competing against right now, training a lot harder than you. Yeah. And at the end of the day, if you stand beside them and they beat you, you're going to be able to look at yourself in the mirror and you're going to be able to say, I did not do everything I could have to win this show yeah. versus if you truly get in the gym every day and I'm not talking just the gym, like with your diet, you're not messing up everything and whatever. And you can check every box and you can stack those wins as much as possible. You're going to be good and you're going to yeah. be moving in the right direction. So hold yourself accountable, check those boxes daily, whether that's your yeah. water intake, your diet, I'm not saying you can never have the take the losses or, or screw ups, but make sure you're, you're trending upwards and you're winning a lot right. more than those losses are happening. Right. Because if at the end of the day, you look back at your week and two, three days out of your week, you had a very poor sleep. You messed up your diet four times. You skipped your cardio, but you had three or four good days. It's like, well, Jeez. somebody's out there having five or six good days. So time to ramp it up a notch. Yeah. I was talking to a lady today and I guess it's, there's kind of a bit of the other side where you think you're, you're competing against you at some levels. I, I don't super buy the, 
I think you're always competing against other people, but yep. if you want to be the best you that you can be, and that's, that's a reasonable goal too. And I was just saying to her, like, you know, don't, don't get on stage this time anyways, yep. to be, to win necessarily. Like, yep. you know, it good. Like if it's their goal and that's your time and you know, you're going to say that that's your target, that's great. But don't, don't beat yourself up if you're not first place. Like you get, yeah, it's a progress. I, I have, I actually have, mixed feelings about that and, and I'll, yeah. I'll express where I'm coming from so I think there's a lot of value in a first-time competitor getting up there just to see if they enjoy the sport yeah yeah this is something they want to do long term now if you come to me and you tell me that you want to win yeah and I look at your physique and you're like I, I want to win and I want to do a show in six months or eight months and I look at your physique and I'm like you need two years of off season before you're actually going to win right well, I'm going to tell you that. And I actually have a lot of athletes, a lot of athletes right now who wanted to compete this year. And I said, no, because mm -hmm. they told me they want to be pros. They want to win shows. And I'm like, well, if your goal is to do well at the national level, you need a physique that's ready to do well at the national level first. Yeah. You yeah. don't pick a show and try to build a physique for the show. You build a physique and pick a show based on when the physique is ready, because you can't yeah. dictate how that's going to happen. Right. right. So I think that's very, very important. And I think, I mean, I, I also, I love bodybuilding so much to the, to the fact that, and this is just my personal opinion. Um, I think there needs to be a, a category or a federation. And I think there is that people that are just doing like their whole fat loss journey and they're yeah. just up there to display yeah. their fat loss journey go to, yeah. but it's really like, if somebody is, is pushing the envelope and training their ass off for 20, 24 weeks, whatever it is for a prep, they shouldn't be standing beside somebody who literally just tried to lose 50 pounds and has a bunch of loot. Like, you know what I mean? And then like yeah, totally. much more to lose. They're not in condition. This isn't literally a weight loss competition. It's right. a bodybuilding show, no matter what category you're in. And I, and I don't say that to push people away, mm -hmm. but I say that because we want better and better and better and better athletes. We want to grow yeah. the sport of bodybuilding. The sport of bodybuilding doesn't grow by a bunch of people that just lost 20 pounds and step on a stage, Yeah, right? Like you deserve credit for that a hundred percent. And I will only give you credit because there's a lot of people in this world that are complacent to the fact they won't even do that. Right. So good That's for cool. you. If you feel good yeah. and you look good and you're happy, awesome, yeah. but don't get on a bodybuilding stage because yeah. at the end of the day, your confidence will get shot right. when you're standing beside people actually shredded and you have another 30 weeks of dieting to even get a sniff of lean. Yeah, it's a right? big wake up call. That's a big wake up call when that happens. But and I've I've seen it kick people in the ass for sure too. But that's where I'm going with this. If if you just want to figure out if bodybuilding's for you, yeah, do a show. But like for me, most people come to me and they're like, I want to win and I want to do this. And it's like, okay, you're taking a two year off season. Yeah. And I've 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 dropped athletes and and whatnot because I've had athletes on stage and I tell them after they get off stage like, hey, if you want to be competitive in this show, like the next time you compete you need a year and a half of actual growth because doing this show and starting a prep in six months, you're not going to have the muscle you need to win. Right. And some people can't handle that. It, that's the yeah. fact of the matter. I don't sugarcoat shit with people and some people can't handle that. And just last year I had it happen and I'm okay with it because mm -hmm. I know that athlete, when they do a show this year and they won't be under me, I'm going to see them and they're going to look the same. And that's yeah. okay. If yeah. they're okay with looking the same, but mentally don't tell me, that you want to improve and you want to win and you want to be a better athlete, but then not be willing to do the stuff that is going to make you a better athlete. And that yeah. doesn't mean stepping on stage more frequently. That actually means spending more time away from the stage, 
uncomfortable, eating all the food, having a little bit higher levels of body fat, growing the muscle, because the dieting part, quite frankly, is actually pretty easy. It's force feeding your force feeding yourself for 18 or 24 months. That becomes very, very hard. And that's where champions are made realistically, right? Like, you know what I mean? All these pros didn't become pros and the best pros in the world from competing every six months. No. Some of them got very yeah. large over very large periods of time, eating an l- enormous amount of food to get to where they are. Yeah. And it also creates a better prep setting in terms of, okay, a good reverse diet. Okay. We've built your metabolic rate up through the off season so that when we diet you, you're at a good, you're at a good level of body fat, but you have a lot of tools in the toolbox in terms of calories are very high. So we're not, you're not starting a prep at 2000 calories, mm-hmm. 400 calories or 300 calories once. And you're at 1700 and then all of a sudden you're at 1400 and it's like, okay, now things are getting really low. We've only pulled your food twice and there's nowhere else to go. Right. Yeah. I guess for me, like, like my psychology is simply, I I go to win. I'm, I'm there to win, not to, not to even come second. And that's who I am too. And I don't have an ability to turn that off. I genuinely don't like, don't get me wrong. When I have an athlete in a competitive show, I will hundred percent shake their hand and say great work on second place when they get second of 10 people, whatever. That's awesome. That's an accomplishment, yeah. but it's not the job we came here to do. And you better believe I'm pissed off and I'm going back to the drawing board. Yeah. I'm looking at what we could have done to make you win first, because next, next time you get up here, I want first place. And if that means you got second and you were this close, then maybe we only have to, maybe we can prep for a show yeah. in, in two months. Right. But if you were a little bit more than this close and you're like this far away from, from first place, yeah. We're going to take the time and I'm going to hold you away from the stage. And if you can't do that, you're probably not going to work with me because that's actually what it's going to take to be first place. Yeah. I think it's like, I think what you said was good too, in that, you know, it's always good to have dates and goals and stuff, regardless of where you're starting or where you're headed. I think the having realistic goals is really where the, that's, that's where I say to everyone. And I mentioned this a few minutes ago. I have really transitioned from instead of people coming to me and saying, okay, I want to do this show. Here's our timeline. We're going to do this show. My response to them is, nope, we're going to see if you're ready to do that show. We're going to diet you and and get your physique in a place where now we can say, okay, this show is, is 14 weeks out. You're at really good body fat. We have a lot more food. We've already in a fat loss phase. What we have to do is push this further. If you're enhanced, we'll start using some PEDs at this time and plan this all out. But we build the physique and then choose the show. Right. We don't choose a show and try to fit that physique into the show because that creates a lot right. more stress. You're on a timeline. It makes you to make irrational decisions in terms of drastic food drops, crazy drug usage in some yeah. people. You know what I mean? And it's like, no, that's that's not how I'm doing things. We're going to build a physique and then choose a show. And when yeah. your physique is ready, we will know and it will tell us. Yeah, I think that's that's a tough part. You're really in it. I think where it plays out poorly and you're you're kind of implying it is that people get to a point where they realize I need to lose way more weight than, than I, you know, I'm prepared for. And then suddenly they're going into like zero calorie days or, you know, they're going into extremes and that's not good for anything. Yeah. And like, I'm, I'm going to be honest and and just say this, like, and I, I'm somebody who says this because I'm also somebody who preaches fixing this. If you want to be a good bodybuilder, most of the time, there is going to be some extreme stuff that has to happen. Right. Like, especially for bikini athletes, for one, everyone's like so scared of like, oh my God, she was eating 800 calories in the final month of her show. Well, yeah, she's 105 pounds trying to get to an extreme low level of body fat. 
she's probably going to need to do that. Now, the problem is she's going to have probably really big thyroid dysfunction afterwards. She's going to have some sort of estrogen dominance. Yeah. If you don't know how to fix that, well, you should never be taking somebody there. Right. Yeah. For myself, the only reason I've became educated on this stuff is because I know this stuff happens. I didn't become educated on this stuff because I love working on estrogen dominance cases and I just want to fix everybody in that case. Yeah, yeah. Sorry, no, that's not. If you're somebody that comes to me and you just have that and you want me to fix it, normally I'll, I'll pass you off to somebody that I know that can fix it that is passionate about doing that. My passion is bodybuilding and I learned this stuff because I want to be able to fix it when it does yeah. happen. Because if you are pushing yourself to the extreme, because this is an extreme sport, it's going to happen. Yeah. And we want to be able to get out of there as fast as possible and fix you as fast as possible. Now, does that say it happens every time? No, yeah. but I would say like 90% of the time that a female is actually in shape for a show, like actually at low enough body fat that would be successful at a pro level or a national level, mm -hmm. they're going to lose their period. That stuff yeah. is going to happen. And if they're not, they're probably not lean enough. Right. right. And that's just the fact of the matter. So um, as long as that stuff can be taken care of after the fact, then it's all good. If, if somebody's pushing people to these places and they have no idea how to fix this or they're not helping people yeah. reverse diet and they're not fixing these problems they create. As far as I'm concerned, get out of here. Don't don't even help anybody because you're you're the problem. Yeah, it's it's really pretty easy to tell someone not to eat much. 100%. <laughs> that's all they're doing. Stop eating so much. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Yeah. And then just cut out, just cut out all the carbs and you look like a magician, but you've made a big mess. Yeah. hundred percent. That's exactly it. And, and I see it all the time. It's unfortunate, but I mean, like you said, it is an extreme sport. Nobody here is perfect. And we all have to push the envelope with certain things, whether that's diet or whatever. Um, obviously mitigating risk. If we're talking drugs, it's not pushing the envelope a bunch there. Yeah. Know what you're doing to the point that you can reverse anything that you create. Right. And if you can't do it, then maybe just don't do it. Yeah. Yeah. It's uh, yeah. It's funny too, because people fall in love with it too. And then they uh, we've seen you've, you know, who I'm talking about. There's a few guys that will be on stage until they die. Like they're going to, oh, yeah. they're going to be yeah. 90 years old up there. hundred percent. Exactly. I know exactly who you're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's pretty great. It's great that, you know, people do fall in love with the sport. There's oh, a, exactly. there's a, I don't know what it is. It's just that vibe of, being up there and doing yep. your thing and yeah it's pretty exciting absolutely so, you must miss it you must miss it or do you get it through your your athletes that's secondhand bodybuilding and i absolutely miss it i'll never yeah. i'll never deny that and <clears throat> there's no saying i'll never be up there again to be completely yeah. honest with you i would have to i there's going to be extreme precautions if i ever decide to because of my health and so forth yeah um, i definitely wouldn't do the stuff I, I had done in the past to get to where i was and there's also a mental barrier for me knowing that i will never be as big as i once was but yeah. and that that's a really yeah. tough thing you know i know where i was and it's like why do it again when you can't be there again when you know what you were capable of at one time but i love it so much there might be a point in my life where i say yeah you know what let's give it let's swing the bat again um yeah. my athletes always come first though i would never make sure i would yeah. make sure i was never sacrificing that because I do get like I just love bodybuilding and for me I live vicariously through them yeah when I see them winning like I said there there was no feeling like the first pro card I won with Maverick that was yeah. one of the coolest things I've ever experienced and, and seeing how happy he was and like fuck it was cool yeah <laughs> it, it was that's awesome yeah it was it was funny too when when I was up there uh doing the MC work because I was like real close to the athletes you know mm -hmm. and you know I can I, you see everything when you're that close and then I'm, you know, I'm 
I'm like intentionally delaying saying who the winner is. And you could see the athletes, like you could see them going through these mental shifts on stage, oh, yeah. just like vibrating. Am I the winner? Am I the winner? And then, you know, I guess the downside is, you know, a lot of people who thought they would win, you get to see that up close too, where they thought, oh, I should have had that spot and I didn't take yeah. it. And you see the anguish and, you know, oh, I did all this work. You see guys like me in the stands who are just sitting there like, come on. Come on. <laughs> yep. Yeah. So that was fun. It was fun to watch it up close and, and personal and just see the, you, you see a lot of things happen on stage too. That was, I thought was really interesting where I think you don't see it from 50 feet away, the like how much shaking is actually going on. Oh, for sure. Because you're just far enough away. You can't really visually grasp how much shaking happens on stage. I will, I will say with that too, um, I think that's a lot of entry level. Kind oh of yeah. hundred percent. Yeah. People like you go to a national show and that stuff's limited because yeah. you're getting docked on that. Right. right. Yeah. Which I will say with Pat, that's an area that he drastically improved. And I know he was working on it religiously because we had a yeah. coach that was working with him and I, I was making sure he was posing lots. He was a statue up there. He didn't, yeah, yeah. he hit his poses and he just didn't move. And like yeah. that attracts attention, right? right. When yeah. you're, when you're shaking and things are moving, well, that's negative attention. When you're just right. a statue and everybody around you is shaking, the yeah. judges look at you and they're like, that guy's practiced what he's yep. doing. Yeah. He knows what yeah. he's doing. What so, causes it? Do you think, is that over, over contraction or is that? Sure. that? That's one thing. And, and under experience, I think people don't pose enough going into their shows, right? Yeah. I have my athletes pose for 30, 45 minutes a day for six weeks going into a show. Wow. Wow. You, you better be like your, your cardio is just as, or your posing is just as important as your cardio. I want yeah. you spending the time doing that because you shouldn't have to think on stage, but I would agree. Right. A, a muscle that's contracted at like 85 or 90%, a lot of the times is going to look the same as a muscle that's contracted yeah. at hundred percent. Right. And I also think it's try it's people trying to make up for lack of muscle by squeezing mm -hmm. a muscle harder. When you have a very right. mature, dense muscle and you've built a good amount of muscle, you don't have to actually squeeze it that hard mm -hmm. to display it. You know what mm -hmm. I mean? Yep. Yeah. Especially when you're you looking at that, you look, yeah. And you look at those Olympia pros and they're just like, they hit a pose and it's just like literally locked in and they're not even really posing that hard. Yeah. Like, yes, yeah. they are squeezing things, but they can hold it all day because, well, they're, they're squeezing at about 70% that there's so right. much muscle there that it's shown. Yeah. Do you, you, uh, we kind of glazed over it, but do you do, um, faster cardio? Is that a good thing or where do you sit on fast? So if, if it's a, if it's a, I mean, I, I do believe in it for sure. Um, I think that's one thing where studies will tell you that there is no difference between fasted or fed cardio. Anecdotally, I will tell you I've seen differences, but there is one caveat here. Fasted cardio for an enhanced person is a lot different than fasted cardio for, huh. because really? you, there are drugs that will actually increase fat burning in a fasted state. Growth hormone is one of them. If you apply okay. your growth hormone, like three hours before your fasted cardio. So you'd have to take it in the middle of the night. Or yeah, yeah, yeah. You absolutely will have greater levels of lipolysis happening while huh. you're doing your fasted cardio. Right. There's other drugs that work really well in a fasted state. Your yohimbines, clenbuterols, these things are all going to, you know what I mean? Drive yeah. lipolysis. Um, with that being said, is it a huge difference? No, for me, I just like making sure that I have a, a different approach to cardio, that it's kind of a higher intensity approach. Um, and I want you to be able to put 100% into your cardio. 
and 100% into your training. So if you're doing your cardio post training, but you've put 100% into your training, mm-hmm. your output capacity is going to be lower post training. Right. If you wake up in the morning, have a small cup of coffee or something and get on your cardio, well, your output capacity is going to be a lot harder than post training because you have more energy in the tank, right? Mm-hmm. And then you get a bunch of meals in you through the day. Now you train in the evening. Right. So I think that's what matters more, but it also comes a convenience standpoint. Where do people yeah. have time? But at the end of the day, if I'm working with an enhanced competitor and we're probably doing at some point for a lot of people, they might be cardio twice a day. And at that point, yeah, your time is important, but you also told me you want to win a pro card. So I really don't care. Find a way to get it done. Yeah. Wait, right? Do you, do you ascribe to the, uh, like, you know, kind of a top of two pounds a week weight loss, or is that a, uh, no, I, I base it on the look. You know what I mean? Like yeah. if there's a lot of body fat to lose, I don't care if someone's dropped four pounds a week. If yeah. there's a, a very low amount of body fat to lose, like a very low and we're like a couple of weeks out. Um, well, yeah, I might try to slow things down with refeeds or, or yeah. decrease cardio, stuff like that. Cause at that point, if you're yeah. dropping five pounds a week and you're at Ooh. 6%, 6% body fat, well, that's a large percentage of muscle. You're probably losing at that point. Yeah. Right. So right. it really depends. Um, but yeah, that's, that's totally dependent on where the person is, how the person, how much body fat the person has, yeah. how much water they, they hold and their fluctuations from night to morning in terms of water intake and fluid right. um, flushing and stuff like that. Yeah. Yeah. I've, I've always liked fasted cardio. Just been a, I've been a fan, I guess, yeah. but I'm also, well, I, I, pars- I partially like it because I feel like people just feel better during the day. Right. Yeah. And, and, and most people you talk to, yeah, it, it might suck getting up early for your cardio for 30 minutes in the morning. Once you get it done, you feel amazing. Yeah. And yeah. again, I would say I have seen anecdotally, even in natural athletes, it work better than fed cardio. And I think it's, yeah, studies might show different, but I think anecdote does have some value. And, and I can't tell you exactly why. I mean, at the end of the day, sure. Yeah. Glycogen yeah. stores are, are probably depleted and, and this and that, but it just doesn't make sense via the data that's shown, but at the same time, it does make sense to me. So yeah. I'll probably never just abandon that. It, I think it's, it's hard in the science though, to like manage the psychology of things. For sure. Know? And like, I actually had a conversation the other day with a, a really good friend of mine, who's a really respected coach in the U S um, and we were talking about just this, the science only says so much. There is not enough research about every variable stacked on top of each other, because we have studies on this thing. We have studies on this thing and we have studies on this thing. But when we're bodybuilding, we're combining that thing, that thing, that thing, that thing, and that thing. And this variable affects that variable, that variable affects this variable. Now you stack all those variables together. There is no study on that because that thing can be affecting that. And it goes back, it goes right back to the fast cardio thing you just mentioned. Well, if you're telling me that if you're going to go black and white and say that fasted cardio is no better than fed cardio. Well, I'm going to come back to you and say, well, how about if I put four units of growth hormone in three hours before their fasted cardio? I know for a fact, and I promise you fat burning will be higher in a fed, in a fasted state. So how can you say black and white fasted or fed is the same as fasted, right? Right. And it's just, there's so many moving parts all the time. And it gets even more complex when you're talking PEDs because every drug or every study on every drug is done individually on that drug. What if we have four other drugs in the equation, like a lot of bodybuilders do in the final stages of a contest prep? Everything says, don't ever do this. Well, I did this and this happened and health was great and nothing bad happened because we had this, 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 and this in place. You know what I mean? And like, 
there are mm-hmm. boundaries you need to respect and it goes back to that safer use model yep. and minimizing risk but again at the end of the day i think it's also apparent that if you're working with somebody who has potential to be an olympia level athlete the athlete knows and the coach knows that there are going to be greater risks than working with somebody that's doing a regional show for their first time sure right yeah, and you 100%. get to that point that you have those conversations and you make sure hey we're going to probably have to do some things here that are going to be like full gas and it's not the healthiest, safest thing to do. But if that's where you want to end up, we need to know that you're okay with that. I'm going to minimize risk as much as possible on my end. And we're going to do what we can to, to kind of make our way around that. Yeah, no, that totally makes sense. So, well, listen, I, I worked out this morning before the, before the podcast and I got to go eat some food. I'm starting I actually got to head to the gym here too. So let's. Yeah. Uh, so when do I see you next? You're going to be up at the uh, TNT, or I will absolutely be at TNT. Yeah, Naturals. Uh, I'll be at the natu- I'll be at the Naturals as well. Which I'll ones? Come. Which ones at the end of June? Is that the uh, Naturals? Is the sorry? I'm gonna pull up my show schedule here, but TNT is TNT is before Naturals. Okay, so end of June. Okay. Yeah. June so 25th. The actual, yeah, June June 24th, 25th is, uh, or June 25th is TNT, and then the Naturals is July 23rd. Okay, well, I'll try to get up there. That'll be fun. So. Yeah, that'd be awesome to see you. Cool. Yeah, good to see you. Well, thanks for coming on the show. Hopefully, yeah, 100%. Thank you very much for having me. I absolutely appreciate it. These, yeah. uh, these opportunities are cool for me to just kind of speak yeah. and, and yeah, show hope- my peace of mind. Yeah, hopefully uh, all the uh, training goes well with your athletes coming up to the next shows. And Patrick yeah, does great. We'll watch that. That'll be on exciting. pace right now for everybody to look pretty good. So it's awesome. Pressure's on me to not screw this one up. Yeah, don't mess it up, man. If he does yeah. poorly, it's all you. Yeah. <laughs> all right. We're all good there. I think we'll have uh, we'll have some fun and, and have a good yeah, show. Yeah, for sure. Back. Yeah, I look forward to I seeing that. We'll surely thing. pick up in the next week. I'll tell you that much. Yeah, you bet. Awesome. All right, sir. Well, uh, we'll catch up to you soon. And uh, yeah, thanks very much for your time. Much appreciated. Awesome. I appreciate you. Thanks for having me on. Yes, absolutely. Okay. Talk soon. All right. (laughs) Cheers. All right. Bye for now.